Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to a bonus episode of Cinematic Universe. I'm your host, Joe Cunningham, and joining me to make sense of everything that happened at San Diego Comic-Con 2018 is our... I've lost sense of my grammar. (laughs) (laughs) I I, I hope not everything. Uh, Oh, God, yeah. Uh, And James Hunt. Yeah, not everything, but everything that is relevant to us. I hope your grammar's okay. Ish. Uh, my grammar is 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 long departed. I think. Um, <laughs> hey, guys, it's been a hot minute since we were um, all three of us on a podcast together. <laughs> yeah, we had to get the union involved until I could come back. <laughs> so, James, you have recently been in India. Yes, and then before that, I was recently not being in India due to an extremely delayed flight. And then before that, they yanked a bunch of teeth out of my mouth because apparently that's how you fix infected tooth <laughs> um and seb you have been here but we've kind of i mean even before that we had the episode that you missed so even while even in that time there's an extra episode to add on from before that i can't speak tonight you guys i think I've, my brain has been overloaded by <laughs> comic-con news yeah it's good I, I we're, we're only planning about two hours of chat so <laughs> We were prepared for a big weekend of news from the convention, and then the biggest news ended up being not from the convention. Yes, the the day before. Um, and let's let's get into all of the news because, as we've said, there's there's a lot of it. There always is at Comic Con. Um, but yeah, the the biggest piece of news broke the day before Comic Con, um, and. It came when Disney announced that they were parting ways with director James Gunn and that James Gunn and Disney would have no further involvement. Um, Now, to fill anyone in who's been living under a rock, this came about because James Gunn had, pre-being a Disney employee, pre-working on Guardians of the Galaxy, had made some jokes that referred to rape and pedophilia on Twitter um he was subsequently hired by disney made two guardians of the galaxy films was purportedly being lined up to kind of shepherd marvel's cosmic universe moving forward into phase three and pretty much it seems like guardians and disney had become his career that was his bag he was the guy on twitter who you know, was 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 probably was probably as vocal a voice of the MCU as Kevin Feige has been. 
Um, but some right-wing Twitter personalities, who I don't think we'd need to dignify by uh, name, uh, found James Gunn's old tweets and made a song and dance about them and kind of drew parallels with recent scandals with people like Roseanne Barr and said that James Gunn should be fired and um, Disney, within 24 hours, capitulated and Alan Horn announced that they were parting ways. Um, I think importantly, it sounds like this was a the very highest echelons of Disney decision and not like Kevin Feige said, James, you're going to have to step aside. But the repercussions are going to be pretty huge just within comic book movies, you guys. But I think probably we should also discuss that wider context around guns firing because um, there are definitely different perspectives on this. I guess we probably have a similar one but it would be interesting to find out <laughs> i'm just i mean as, as i said on twitter i'm kind of annoyed at everybody here but angry at, at everybody here um i mean i'm not certainly not sure how much you can defend what gun said when you actually look at it and certainly if i'd known you know previously that those were jokes that he'd made i don't think i'd you know be looking super fondly on him um i, I was already sort of um i don't know guns generally not come across brilliantly i think in the last few years while making great films that i've loved um from um diminishing nicole perlman's contributions to the first film yeah. to declaring himself to be fiscally conservative on twitter recently um uh, you know I, I it's not that i've really had a huge amount of time for him as a person um so it's not that like any sort of defense of him isn't um that i think he's absolutely amazing and brilliant and a great person and obviously far too nice to have said this stuff and and blah 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 um but i'm also so i'm just annoyed at him for having been the kind of person to have said that stuff because it's not pleasant it's one thing to kind of make ironic jokes um i i like i'm without getting too much into this as as a subject um i don't think you can't make jokes about things like pedophilia and i think making jokes about hmm. the media's uh, reactions to it, like the infamous Brass Eye special, is something yes. you can do. Um, but I don't think, ironically, saying that you want to commit it is a particularly funny or worthwhile joke. No, definitely, definitely not funny. Definitely not appropriate. Um, <laughs> not necessarily original either. Yeah. No, and it's it's it seems like I mean, it seems like, and this is kind of betrayed in the early James Gunn career. Uh, I mean, this is a guy who came through trauma and he then wrote made film Juliet, didn't he? Yeah, and then and then worked on. Um, that, well, I mean, his films are include Super and Sliver, and you know those kind of like they are provocative movies with a pretty puerile at times humor. But this, I mean, the the jokes themselves, I think we all agree, are not defensible yeah and i think there are and more so than some of the the jokes there are lines in there that there's there's like transphobic language and stuff that just seems to be being used unironically and it uh, seems like a little bit like howard sterny kind of yeah. stuff like it is and you know and i know, and I know he said you know it's, it's him kind of pushing the envelope and being provocative whatever that's fine if he wants to do that it doesn't mean i have to to like that or like him for it but all of no. that said i mean 
while I'm uh, while, so while I am annoyed and disappointed in him for having been like that, um, I am also annoyed at Disney and Marvel for jumping so quickly just to you know set fire to everything basically without taking the time to look at the context of the fact that they were a while ago, the fact that really they hired him in the first place after he yeah. had a reputation for saying this kind of stuff. And while they might not have known about those specific tweets, I think the argument that James Gunn, the kind of thing that James Gunn of a few years ago would say is not compatible with our values. Well, did you not watch any of his previous movies before you hired him? <laughs> and, I mean, also, and also, he had already apologised for that stuff before. Yeah, they that's even the thing. Hired that this, yeah, mm. this stuff is not completely new. It's completely new if you're an alt-right pundit, but it's not completely new if you followed. I mean, it's new to me as well. But you know, it's yeah. Having mm. subsequently seen that if if you were someone who was going to get upset about this, you had your opportunity previously when it was brought up and addressed. And I um, think it's a given that we are all angry and annoyed with the alt right fucks. Yeah, because it's completely disingenuous. In it's disingenuous <laughs> to have have brought it up as an attack against it. I saw and someone tweeting something along the lines of. Um, uh, this was someone replying to a tweet from someone who was defending James Gunn. And the tweet was along the lines of, uh, you liberals kind of opened up this can of worms. You, how can you expect us not to have fun with it as well? And that's the, that's, that's the dis, yeah. that's the disingenuous side of it. It's not, I mean, because the two individuals who brought, attention to this have tweeted far worse stuff themselves yeah. than and, what James and, Gunn has and tweeted. And the person on whose behalf they're doing this has said far worse things. And, you know, mm. they, they are doing this because of how outspoken Gunn has been on Twitter about the president um, in the same way as they've then gone after Michael Ian Black and Patton Oswalt. And, and I don't I don't defend Michael Ian Black's jokes either. I mean, he's just shrugged his shoulders and he's just, yeah, whatever, I said that and that's fine, that's him, that's his comedy, I don't particularly like it. The Pat and Oswald stuff is absolutely hilarious because they took the second half of a pair of tweets that he wrote in order to make a point about how you can take a single tweet out of context and they took it out of context. Hmm. So, I think that... The, I, I mean, I basically agree with everything you I mean, said. I, just, said. I, I, it's just, very... I just want to say that the, the, the reason why I say I'm annoyed at everybody is that I, I, I feel that... I, I would still like to see this resolved in a way that, that still has him making the film, um, mm. but it doesn't come just from a place of, I think he's completely 100% in the right. That's No, I, I think he's... I think he was, to begin with, completely 100% in the wrong. Whether he should have right. been fired... Yeah. Whether he should have been fired for that, I think is... I think 2011 him was in the wrong. Yeah. Yes. And, like, the problem I have is that if if one of your employees is targeted by political activists who are attempting to get them fired, the thing to do is not to immediately fire them. Mm-hmm. Like, at the very least, bring them in, give them a chance to yeah. explain, like, wait for, the, wait for the hype to die down. And it like, seems like such a cut-off-your-nose-to-spite-your-face move as well, because that conversation, those... Those Twitter personalities would have moved on to someone else next week. This would have been the best weekend of the year for this not to gain that as much traction. Because it, this was a thing yeah. on Thursday and Friday on Twitter. And then on Friday evening, the the firing was announced. And I went, what? Like, I, I know that this was happening. 
But I, I didn't expect it to lead to this. It felt like such a, a an overreaction from Disney. Now I think even if they had if they had taken the weekend and announced this on Monday, it would have made more sense to me. But it feels like just someone in a boardroom has gone, yeah, no, he's got to go, and then everyone mm-hmm. has nodded. Well, quite. I mean, for me, it sort of feels like like Disney Disney has screwed up here. And if, you know, if they don't protect their employees, at least on a very basic level of let us look into this, like Mm. they're just going to make themselves a target for that thing more. Like, I I don't see why that wasn't obvious to them. And And they're going to expose more and more people in the industry to that kind of nonsense. Because the the Roseanne Barr equivalence is, for me, couldn't be... Because if, if he had tweeted those things this weekend... That yeah. would be equivalent. Well, if he was targeting a specific not, individual as well. Like, not was. even if he tweeted them this weekend. If he had, t- if he had tweeted a pedophilia joke this weekend, yeah. it would have been horrendous and beyond the pale. But that wouldn't have been him being a pedophile. Roseanne Barr tweeted a racist thing that <laughs> yeah. was racist. She actually yeah. is a racist. Yeah. 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 That, there's no equivalence between him and Roseanne Barr, and it like it, it really irritates me to see people making that comparison in any serious way. And it's just the, it's just the, and obviously this doesn't just apply to Disney, but it's the, it's the contradictions in Hollywood that there are, there are filmmakers who have, you know, been charged with sex offences (laughs) who are still allowed to make movies. And a guy who made some jokes that we think are bad, which they are, is not allowed to make movies, despite the fact that he has acknowledged it being contrite, apologised for that guy he was and said and that not, he was going to move. done it for six years, yeah. Yeah. Like, the thing that I saw, the point I saw being made was that, you know, they people were still willing to have Johnny Depp up on stage at SDCC, yeah. despite the obvious, you know, factual yes. well, this problems is a, you know, that I, he's I, had. I, I noticed it quite interestingly that, that Warners have got films out and did stuff at SDCC for films with both Johnny Depp and Amber, Amber Heard. And uh, yeah, yeah and they, the Heard, panels that they were on were shit, supported yeah. by the studio I was working. Even like the panels they were on were literally scheduled back to back. So it's like you want to take someone who was a victim of domestic abuse and put her literally like a green room away from the guy who punched her or whatever. Like, And the thing I, I always come back to with Johnny Depp is the joint statement that they released after it when they reached mm. a, a settlement was that there was a line in there where, where neither party lied, which says, yeah. yes, Johnny Depp did assault Amber Heard. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so this is, this is, I think it's massively frustrating because it feels like yet another example of emboldening those kind of right-wing fucks on Twitter and this will lead to more people being targeted and they will find more victims through this. Yeah. Like we said, I don't think any of us think that James Gunn is a completely blameless party in this because he shouldn't have made those jokes in the first place. Obviously, if something else were to come to light and it were and you know, we found out that actually Disney had linked this to something else and that's how quickly they'd made their decision, then it would be yeah, a complete a, it yeah, would be we, a completely we different say matter. This based on what is currently publicly known, not what is yeah. being speculated in blind items or that kind of thing. Yes. Yeah. But because uh, when I saw it, I was like I was almost like, well they have to have found out something more. Um but 
I don't I I don't particularly think that is the case. I think the case is they jumped the gun and fired him. And I think the reaction of the cast has been quite telling as well because it would be quite easy for them to be diplomatically quiet about it. Um, <laughs> some of them which, have not been diplomatically quiet. Well, some of well, them some, have been less some diplomatically of them, noisy. But even some of like, them have been very quiet, though. That I think that also needs to be said. I think some of them have done the bare minimum, and others have done more. <laughs> but no, I think I think the bare minimum is nothing, frankly. Um, and I'm, you know, I was kind of surprised by Chris Pratt slightly sticking his neck out. Um, even if not doing it in a, in as overt a way as, as Dave Bautista. Mm. Um, but oh, there it, definitely I, seems to be a sense that that's a group of people who, who are behind him. Yeah. Yeah, it does. Um, and, and so, obviously, I think Guardians of the Galaxy 3 is that the script has been completed. I know James Gunn has said for a while that like he selected most of the soundtrack, which is a big thing for those movies. Um, you would have to imagine this will be a Peyton Reed Ant-Man situation where they bring in someone who can execute that on in, in the short term. And maybe, maybe someone in house, maybe someone connected to maybe someone who's worked with, some of those actors before or something like that. I don't know, but you would think safe pair of hands rather than let's bring in someone who's got a brand new vision for this, for this franchise. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's tough to imagine who could take over something that has such a strong authorial voice in the first place. But I mean, I mean, Ron Howard, who could do it? Like, I don't think he would do it, but Joss Whedon could do it because he's worked with James Gunn and, you know, he's been friends with James Gunn. Um, like I say, I don't think he will because he's got other no. things on his plate and he's done the Marvel thing before. But that's, you know, there's one guy who could do it. There are other people who could do it. I think Seb, you tweeted that the the a kind of obvious Twitter choice was Taika Waititi, who obviously has worked with it. Is is recently worked within the Marvel fold. Yeah, um, I mean, it's 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 people were saying it, and it, it, there was an element of oh, that's just because of Ragnarok. But actually, I think partly the reason why it makes sense is because you make it a sequel to both Ragnarok and Guardians Two, based on what they've been doing with Infinity War, and how perfectly Thor and Valkyrie, as they currently sit, would fit into the framework of the Guardians films. That's not happening, though, is it? It's a <laughs> it's a it's a Guardians Three movie, which we were told was ending the story of this yeah. original team. I did also see some people suggest Mike sure for it which oh god yeah that would feel but i could see that happening does he direct i don't know if he actually does if, if he well, directs probably does he, little bits know, it'd be a good place to start mm. i mean similarly <laughs> similarly i think peyton reed would be another but you, you you've got to look if you're looking within the marvel fold you're you're looking at someone who isn't already working on their own project it's, the, and it, it's, it's a really difficult like, ask i'd quite like to see nicole perlman handed it but uh, i don't think that's gonna happen <laughs> so i mean we'll I think we'll find out something about that, and I'm sure the the calls have already been made. I mean, what, this is all running on the assumption that Disney don't do some kind of crazy about turn. I think if they were going to do, it would have happened by now. I do. Oh, I, I don't. Still part part of me wonders. Yeah, part of me wonders the speed that this happened. I think it kind of came down from, as you say, from the very top, and I think hmm. it would not surprise me if Kevin Feige is spending this week in boardrooms convincing people to let him have his director back and it wouldn't surprise me if feige and other people within disney were quietly furious about this 
Oh, that. definitely. Like this is mm. a really big challenge for for the Disney Marvel relationship. Like no doubt. And probably, I probably mean, the first big one, if anything. As we said, beyond Guardians, James Gunn was supposedly shepherding in yeah. this this cosmic universe for Marvel, which obviously Kevin Feige could do, or they could find someone else. Um, to kind of take on that role, maybe someone from the comics realm as DC have done with Jeff Johns, but it it seems like something that maybe even the cosmic stuff just has to take a back seat for a Mm. while. I don't know, it's just there must be huge ramifications and there must be they must be pulling out their hair internally. The I think the only thing that they've got to be grateful for is that they didn't have a big song all singing all dancing san diego comic-con panel this weekend because that would have been yeah really awkward i mean just just the fact that the announcement came from alan horn and not kevin feige makes me wonder that you know how much input feige was even allowed i i i I doubt it even went past his his desk um the the announcement i believe was made on a conference call to shareholders Hmm. um I, i i Maybe I'm making it up. I don't think I am. Um, but I, it kind of, when I read it, I was like, oh, so this is just a pure business decision. Disney going, that is a line that we as a company, uh, are not, are not crossing. We don't, we don't care about the context. We just want to remove ourselves from this conversation. Yeah, so um, I mean that's that is pretty much the Marvel film news on this Comic Con weekend because as I said, <laughs> Marvel were not there. Um, but yeah, the ramifications are pretty huge, and I think it's on a just on a on a base level of someone who enjoys Marvel Cinematic Universe movies, who is looking forward to seeing what happens over the next few years with them. I think this is creatively a loss. I don't think this is one of those franchises where you're like, oh, I would really like to see something fresh and different happen. I'm really excited to see who takes over. It feels like, oh, they, that's going to feel disjointed somehow. Mm. Um, and the fact that they've severed all ties, it means that there's no kind of like handing over the reins, exec producing while someone, <laughs> while someone else... draft. Yeah, it's 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 done. So I think it's I think it's a real shame for yeah a franchise that, albeit as said mentioned the Nicole Perlman script the um the fact that these characters did pre exist it wasn't like James Gunn magicked up magicked up Guardians of the Galaxy out of nowhere but he clearly is the defining voice of those two movies and what we've now seen of them outside of those movies as well so. It's a shame, I think. Uh, but yeah, we'll move on to the actual news that came out of Comic-Con. And um, hey, a weekend where I think... Did DC win? DC won, I think. Mm-hmm. DC DC come out of San Diego Comic-Con with the stuff that everyone is talking about. And <laughs> not not like in a bad way. Like I mean, the, sometimes well, in, a bad way. in a bad way. <laughs> well, I think, I think even the stuff that people didn't like... It was a it was a mixed response. Mm. Um, let's go with um, there were two trailers um, that were released on the DC on the DC panel, um, and both turned up online, which was nice. There was some Wonder Woman footage, which we're not going to talk about because it didn't sound that interesting. Uh, like there was nothing like notable in there, but they showed a little bit of footage and didn't put it online. Uh, but the first of the two trailers I want to talk about is Shazam. 
Um, we have been, I feel, on this podcast, every every time we see a little bit more from this movie, hear a little bit more about it, like our ears have continued to prick up like, oh, mm-hmm. okay, right? Because it was a punchline for a while. It was like they've hired The Rock to be Black Adam five years ago and done nothing <laughs> with it. Said they might not even make a Shazam movie. It was just like it, this movie was the contractual obligation to get yeah, Black Adam. To get to, get to Black Adam. <laughs> and here we are with a trailer... At Comic Con, which I, I think was the most positively received trailer to come out of the, it probably generated the most buzz out of everything because it's a character that no one has seen anything of, doesn't really have much like wider cultural. Um, oh God, I've lost Profile. my words again. Cashy. Yes, yeah, all of those words. <laughs> James has got James has got two words where I have none, um, and yeah, the trailer was. A ton of fun. It looks like nothing else DC, but actually, it was, it was so good. tied into that universe. Movie. Well, yeah, I mean, it's they they have they they seem to have made a Marvel movie. I honestly, I'm going to stick my neck out here. I think I'm looking forward to this more than any Marvel movie that isn't Avengers Four that's on the slate at the moment. Until until we know more about some of those Marvel movies, and maybe ironically, Captain Marvel. But pretty much, I'm. I'm really geared up for this. I'm I'm really looking forward to it. Considering uh, how little interest I have in Shazam as a character in the comics, I'm surprised at how effective that trailer was. Well, kind of same. And what I've gone and done is, having only read a bit of it and not been super impressed when it started, the, the, the New 52 Shazam stuff, it was never actually its own series. It was a backup strip in Justice League for a little while. And they did <laughs> like fun. enough to collect it in one trade. Um, I, I went and I went and uh, got the trade and uh, uh, digitally and and read it. Um, start was it finish. Jeff Johns? It's, Je- it's Jeff Johns and Gary Frank. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's a total reinvention, and I think I was put off initially by the fact that um, in it Billy Batson is introduced as being very unlikable to start with, and then having seen the trailer and then this trailer and having seen a bit more about what they're obviously doing with that character, I went back and read the book and was like. Oh, not only can I see how that works, I can also see that this film is much more closely based on that version of the comic than I would have anticipated. I'll yeah, talk about I saw that um... when we talked about the trade. I'll go because there's some specific details that I've zeroed in on that I think are going to be elements of the film that haven't really been talked about. But just just on the trailer, it was great. It's really great fun. It looks terrific. It's just. It is just big as yeah. a superhero movie, right? It is. I mean, that's what they've said all along. And to be fair to them, that looks like it's exactly what they've <laughs> <Yeah>. done. <laughs> you know, they weren't lying. <laughs> but but I, I liked I, your comparison, James. And I'm, I'm, you haven't said it, so I'm going to steal it. But what you said about it being big, cross with kick-ass. And that is the other thing that there's a real... Maybe it's because of a, a bit with a convenience store. Um, but... Um, yeah, it's just well, that it's swagger, that swagger of a kid, a kid who is just this normal, like comic book nerd kid. So the two kids uh, played by uh, Jack Dylan Grazer, who is playing Freddy, who is the mm-hmm. friend, yeah. and then there's Asher Angel, who's playing Billy Batson. Just the two of them, kind of like, uh, kind of uh, just be- being like kid buddies in a room, dropping Game of Thrones references and having 
Batman and Superman merch in the background, which is a you know is an easy like extended universe kind of thing to do. That, but that I think it's probably a, that, it's that's a thing that I always uh, I've I'm sure I've talked about this before, particularly in relation to Spider Man. Um, I don't think you get enough of superheroes being cultural figures in the, mm. in the worlds they exist in. And I love it when you see the, you know, in this world we have merchandise of fictional superheroes. In a superhero world you would have merchandise of real superheroes. And I, yeah. I, I always like seeing that. Yeah, and so it's... An, I, I I like that fact of, like, your, your cool kind of nerdy kid, a little bit like Dave Lazuski in Kick-Ass, mm-hmm. and that kid then suddenly getting getting well, the uh, the opportunity to be a hero and being like oh my god this is pretty fun it's it's the fact that he's the he he doesn't like it's the i don't like bullies thing which actually is a line that billy says in the jeff johns shazam comic um, i don't think <laughs> I he's directly quoting uh, captain america but it is that thing of okay he is a bit of a you know cocky um, doesn't trust people because he's a foster kid and, you know, it can, comes across as quite harsh and unlikable and when he meets his foster family, you know, doesn't get on with them and thinks that they're saps. But but then you gradually peel away the fact that he's, you know, had the trauma of losing his parents and this, that and the other and that he does still have this inalienable thing of uh, not liking bullies. And the the bit in the trailer with him beating up the or fighting the, the kids who are bullying and then running off and then being uh, on a train and the subway train taking him to the wizard Shazam, that is beat for beat exactly what happens. Like the context right. of the fight is slightly different, but otherwise that is exactly what happens in the comic. Given um, didn't Jeff Johns write the movie? Uh, he hasn't written it, but he is a producer on it because, well, Mad Ghost Productions is one of the production companies. That's, that's okay. his production so, so he it, is involved. It seems likely to me that he wrote the the reboot based on the movie script that existed. It was um, written by it was written by uh, Henry Gaden, who wrote the screenplay for Earth to Echo. Which was like a kid's sci-fi movie about mm. three Actually, four years ago. Actually, from the look of it, Johns was working on the script in two thousand and nine. I'm just on Wikipedia at the moment, mm-hmm. uh, and then it was in limbo. And then they did the the new fifty two reunion. So yeah, I, one or the other has obviously pulled plot elements from the other while they've been kind of going on simultaneously. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is so uh, something that I think, and something that occurred to me uh, from watching the trailer because I, I was a little. One of the things that was a little uh, threw me a bit in the trailer was there are a couple of moments where um, you can't tell. It's difficult to tell Billy and Freddy apart when they're both wearing hats at different points. Um, <laughs> but when I kind of picked up the thread of that, I suddenly realised, and it probably took me longer than it should have done to have this revelation, but I'm about 90% certain that the last shot of this movie is going to be Freddy turning into... Well, he won't be Captain Marvel Jr. because that won't be his name, but he'll be shazam 2 or, or king shazam as he decides to call himself in the the jeff johns comic um king it is ob- shazam. yeah the, the <laughs> film is obviously good well it's like, i think what they've done there is one it only happens in like one scene but two i think that's an elvis reference um, okay. <laughs> but because you know the whole thing of like elvis based his stage outfit yeah, yeah. on captain marvel jr mm. um but yeah it is obvious that this film is going to end with freddie also getting powers because the thing with Shazam is that he can share his powers with other people and in the classic golden age and and silver and even bronze age stuff that was with Freddy and Mary Marvel um 
in the Jeff Johns stuff, actually, and this is, again, something that they're, they're not at all seen in the trailer. Well, no, you see them very briefly at the dinner table, but the rest of the family, the Shazam family that, that Jeff Johns created, are all in the film. So you've got Mary, who's obviously Mary Marvel, um, but there's also Eugene, Pedro, and Darla, who were all created by uh, Jeff Johns and who are all other foster siblings of Billy's. And in the Jeff Johns comic... Um, there is a moment where Billy shares his powers with all of them and they become a kind of like a, a, a lantern core of different coloured Shazam heroes. But it's <laughs> own but like the Mary and and Freddie have the kind of the same powers that they have classically, which is basically just another version of Captain Marvel. Um but uh the other three all have quite distinct powers. So like Dala is a speedster and Pedro is super strong and Eugene can interact with technology. Looking at the casting, I don't think Eugene, Pedro and Dala are going to be in the film very much because they're all children. Like The actors are all like 10, 11 years old. But keep an eye on Mary because uh, Grace Fulton, who plays her, is older and uh, also is apparently appeared in uh, David Sandberg's previous film. And so yeah, Anna, I Annabelle think, creation, yeah. Yeah, so, we, so we've not had any mention of her as... Well, again, you can't call her Mary Marvel. What would she be? Mary Shazam? I don't know. Um, but um, don't <laughs> really be surprised. Screwed it up with that if, reboot, didn't they? Yeah, I don't. I don't necessarily think she'll get powers in this film. But I think as Mary, I think she'll have more of a role um, Shaz- than Shaz- is being let on at the moment. <laughs> Shaz Mary. Yeah. Shaz- <laughs> <laughs> well, this is. A, I mean, again, the the Jeff Johns comic kind of skirted round this. Um, but when he's called Shazam, that makes things quite difficult because. When he says Shazam is when he transforms. So he can't say his own name. Yeah, this is this is exactly Shazam. the Miracle Man thing though, right? Yeah. Kid Miracle well, Man can't tell Kid people Miracle who Man he is. Kid Miracle Man says Miracle Man to uh to transform. Yeah. Oh, I mean, I surely think... they can have fun with that in the movie. Well, right. I think they will have fun with it in the movie. In the Johns comic, he can just say it without transforming. He has to be deciding to transform for it to happen. Lame. But I think you get more fun of it. Because this is the thing, and this is the, as I say, I kind of, I've read this Jeff Johnson, and I was surprised that I did actually quite enjoy it. But I think I enjoyed it with half an eye on, on what the movie's going to do. What it doesn't have that the movie has added is the comedy. Um, and yeah, you could, that's the kind of thing you can see them having fun with. I don't know if they might play with the idea, this comes from Kingdom Come, where if he's fast enough, he can dodge the lightning bolt. And then in Kingdom Come, when he's fighting Superman, he keeps saying Shazam in order, and then then jumping out of the way in order to hit Superman with a bolt of lightning that Superman's <laughs> vulnerable to because it's magic. Um <laughs> But yeah, and I, I I loved actually as well the the effect. I, I was surprised that we got it in the trailer, um, but the moment with him walking towards the camera where he says Shazam and you just get the bang and the transformation, I really like the way they've done that as a really quick just boom sort of thing. I think was was really nice. And Zachary Levi, Levi looks how you kind of want a kid who turns into a superhero to look. They've embraced the classic costume. It looks a bit goofy. He still does look like he's in a bit of a blow-up superhero suit. Mm. But he's... Yeah, he it, it, he looks good. It the looks fun. looks good. It looks like he's... He, he looks like he will hopefully successfully pull off the Tom Hanks thing of convincingly being a 14-year-old in the body of an adult. Like, <laughs> um, just, yeah, just and... his body language and stuff, like, particularly that, that convenience store bit when they're walking out afterwards... Um, you know, I just got a really good sense of that there. And I'm sure fans of Chuck will be saying, like, 
yeah, this is what we knew was going to happen since they cast him. Uh, I never watched Chuck, but I get that that was about a guy who was like a massive nerd who got who gained these abilities and was kind of goofily fun with them. Um, from what I hear, like an underrated show. Um, yeah, I, I think this is this is looking like it's going to be the movie we hoped it was going to be. I think it was pretty smart to really background the Mark Strong stuff in the trailer at least you see him <laughs> yeah there is hey this hey is, we've got we've got a villain we'll get to to mark strong being lex luther especially seeing as again in the johns and frank stuff and maybe it's because johns and frank have also done superman stuff with lex luther in it but savannah is basically just lex luther in the reboot right. <laughs> um, so um and- <laughs> I, i'm enjoying i'm going to enjoy seeing mark strong play him i think Another couple of fun facts. Um, I tweeted this out, but Jamon Hansu, who is yep. in this movie as the Wizard, um, is also going to be as is going to be in Captain Marvel, reviving the Korath role. He's <laughs> also going to be in Captain Marvel. <laughs> he's in Captain Marvel and Shazam. He was obviously in Guardians of the Galaxy. He is also going to be in Aquaman, playing a different character. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, and like all of those movies come out like. <laughs> like within three months so i think he's in like three comic book movies in three months or something like that it's wow. uh it's pretty impressive table for a while because there are too many movies now and i think I, oh I, I, god no sad to put the figures together but you would have to you would have to like minutes. you'd have to definitely like narrow it down to just like marvel and dc or something like that <laughs> it was originally any movie based on a comic counted yeah um but that was again something I hadn't actually realised before reading the, the the Jeff John stuff in full that um, that the Wizard Shazam is black in that. So that again, that's a, a detail change that that comes from the comics. So I don't think we've had any um, um, Idris Elba esque complaints from people online. But if they do, you can point to the fact that the comics had already done it. I mean, it's right. funny, isn't it, how people don't really care when it's like a side character or something. It's only if mm-hmm. it's the main hero when they get upset. Um, so yeah, J- Jamon Honsu is starring in Aquaman, Captain Marvel, and Shazam. They are released 15 weeks apart from each other in totality. <laughs> Three comic book movies in 15 weeks. That is pretty impressive. My other fun little factoid here, um, there, there's no characters listed, but on IMDb, both Adam Brody and DJ Katrona are apparently appearing in this movie, <laughs> who are two of the actors who were originally going to be in Justice League Mortal. Um, <laughs> DJ Katrona was going to be Superman, and I think was Adam Brody... Um, was he Wally West or was he? He was one of the Flashes. Yeah, he was one. I can't. I can't remember which one. Uh, but yeah, and obviously, so that... um, while he's not listed in the cast, we know that the Rock's going to turn up, don't we? Uh, Post credits, surely. Yeah? yeah. Yeah. Right. Okay. So that was the Shazam trailer. Um, the other big trailer that DC uh, showed at Comic Con was the trailer for Aquaman. Which um, <laughs> J- James, I'm going to let you kick us off on this because you have thoughts. <laughs> I like I can't figure out how this movie is going to go because that trailer was completely batshit. It reminded me the film it reminded me of was Valerian, which I loved, <laughs> but mm. I don't think you can argue that it isn't any way objectively good. Um not not in not in totality, but it's one of the, yeah, I, I would say like Valerian and like Jupiter Ascending, which yeah. are these nutty sci-fi movies from uh, auteurist directors yeah, that who... have too much money and too much colour but and like strike upon genius every every now and then yeah. and I think yeah Valerian hits it 
fairly often, but is also objectively bad at moments as well. Mm. So um, this looks huge. Um, Amber Heard, as Caroline said on one of our previous episodes, does pretty much just look like Ariel. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I mean, I, I couldn't take the voice, the like serious voiceover from Jason Momoa at the start. I was like, that that is not an actor who has been designed to deliver serious. I know. As soon as he's voiceover. not spouting like one liners, it's like, <laughs> oh, I don't believe this guy at all. <laughs> but but the there looks like truly bonkers stuff in here. Big wars under the sea. Um, Black Manta, one of the villains, has a fantastic, what I can only assume is comics accurate costume. Um, <laughs> apparently, a, the, yeah, tons of fish everywhere. By how that looks. The, uh, apparently, the, the Aquaman's going to be riding a giant seahorse, which he did in the comics, but James Wan went rather than kind of. How, like, I saw this like punchline from the comics, and they went, "How do I make that terrifying?" So he's going to be like, it's going to be like a Game of Thrones esque dra- dragon that he's going to be <laughs> riding under the sea like a seahorse. And there was all those, yeah, all those different like sea creatures battling as part of the um, underwater war scene. Uh, it looks like there are multiple actors hamming it up to the extreme. Patrick Wilson being foremost amongst them. I mean the um, thing the thing for me that makes me really go you can't tell how this film is going to going to land is I think it's right at the end of the trailer they jump out of a plane or something and there is a shot of a goat doing a double take <laughs> <laughs> Like any film with that in is either going to be genius or like just a complete mess and you cannot tell what it is until it's in front of you But it does look like something that has been made with a point of view and with an idea in mind. It's not like, I mean, for for all of us not liking the Snyder movies, I think we kind of came out of Justice League going, we didn't like what Snyder was doing, but at least he was committed to that vision. And we might not like what Aquaman ultimately does, but at least it looks like it is going to be, that is James Wan's idea of what an Aquaman movie should be. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And it And it might kill the character for like... Uh, well, I was I was going to say decades. I was yeah, exactly. I was going to say decades, but by that I mean eight or nine years. Um, <laughs> or it or it could just be you know kickstarting that character so that people care again. I will say I think it looks like they've figured out how to do the underwater stuff that they definitely hadn't figured out previously. <laughs> Like, the general shots of movement and stuff underwater were more impressive in this than they have been in any previous Aquaman appearance up to this point. Seb, I don't think you were on the mini when we talked about... Um, or it may, In fact, no, it was the main episode, wasn't it? It was the Men in Black episode where we talked about the images from this and uh, Entertainment Weekly had like interviewed James Wan about some stuff and they were like, so have you figured out how to, how to do the talking underwater? And he's like, oh yeah, we figured out that they would just talk underwater like don't don't overthink it we don't need air bubbles and we don't need like i do remember listening to that yeah yeah and it's like it's like oh okay that gives me more confidence in this movie than anything i've heard um but you're right there's there's moments in this trailer like james like the moment where like i think um patrick wilson and jason momoa are fighting and it cuts to like a crowd shot of the crowd like going, whoa, and then <laughs> bursting into cheers. But for a second, it reminded me of A Knight's Tale. And we all know that that is one of the classic movies of the 21st century. <laughs> yeah. um, and if that's if that's the case, I mean, yeah, 
I, I've just got it on in the background now. Armies lining up, riding on sharks and seahorses, <laughs> and like all then, of like, these sea also, monsters flying in from different directions. Of, um, like little Arthur Curry in the aquarium being backed up by a bunch of fish. The Harry Potter scene. Yeah, and it just is. <laughs> It looks flatly ridiculous and you can't imagine anyone wrote it and filmed it and made it and went, that's the one, we're keeping that. Because it's yeah. just ludicrous. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, yeah, you're not you're not wrong, but maybe it is going to be slightly tongue-in-cheek. That's the thing, but yeah. maybe, maybe it knows it's ludicrous and maybe it doesn't. <laughs> and if the movie just goes balls, balls to the wall with ludicrousness the whole way through, then... Good, maybe. Like James Wan <laughs> would know that it was ludicrous. <laughs> How much money are you willing to put on that? <laughs> <laughs> no, you know what I mean. I just, I just think, yeah, I think it's, I think more so than say if it was a McG film or something. Uh, I think he's more likely to lean into that. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> I um, I, I definitely walk away from these two movies going, oh well, I, I think I know the one that I'm going to be more into i think i feel like i know the one that has been made more with my sensibilities um but i i, I feel like i could like aquaman maybe um i'm not gonna i'm not i'm certainly not gonna write it off this trailer this trailer at least makes me go hmm i think we're past the point anyway where a trailer for a dc movie is gonna <laughs> reflect uh, the film in any way yeah i mean it's like you know i've just spent all that time talking about how how great i think shazam looks suicide squad had a good trailer i i feel like though that with well, like even with the man of steel trailer uh which was a good trailer i remember at the time thinking that looks like a really great trailer for a bad movie um batman v superman and suicide squad i feel like my like <laughs> my radar was <laughs> alerted straight away like yeah Okay, good trailer, but I think Suicide Squad was more surprising just because that trailer was so it just sold a different movie, didn't it? Um, yeah. But I I would be surprised if the Shazam trailer has completely thrown as a curveball, and that's not the movie we're going to get. I mean, the Shazam a- trailer Aquaman... seemed to get out of the first act, even which is no. a, a bold a direction for trailers. About the rest of it, yeah. yeah. No, but it's it's giving you the dynamic. I think, and that's oh, sure. that's, yeah, yeah. and I imagine that is, we haven't seen any of the big hero stuff in it at all. It doesn't try and impress you with big action stuff, which would I, surely I, be coming later on in the film. But that could be, it could be a bit like Ant Man, you know. It could be that like the, the majority of it is just you know characters enjoying spending time with the characters, and you'll get ten minutes at the end where there's a bit of a ruck. Um, but I mean, however good or bad that last ten minutes of Ant Man had been when the actual ant fighting got going, I don't think it would have massively changed my opinion on the movie had it been significantly worse or better. I think that that's that's just the vibe I get from this Shazam trailer. I'm not expecting it to be of the scale of some of the other stuff that we see from from you know movies that debut at Comic Con. Um, <laughs> We shall see, though. Um, a move. In, in fact, and this is a seamless segue, you guys. A movie which apparently is going to have a ninety million dollar budget, which those budgets don't exist in Hollywood anymore. So I'm really interested. Joker, which it will be called now. We're going to get the Batman and Joker. Apparently, <laughs> uh, Joker is going to be released in October 2019. And um, we have had it confirmed that Quacking Phoenix 
will star in the lead role. And that movie is in talks with Zazie Beats to join the cast. Now, this is not Comic-Con stuff, but this is stuff that's been bubbling along for the past week or so outside of Comic-Con. Um, there, there were reports online today that Robert De Niro was in talks for a role in the movie, um, which I feel like had been rumoured. Been <laughs> yeah, it felt like it had been rumoured for some time, didn't it, with the like the Scorsese involvement and the King of Comedy stuff. Um and I can't, oh God, do you know what? I can't remember who it is, but I remember seeing someone quite notable had turned down the lead female role in the movie. Um, and it's completely gone from my head, so I can't tell you who it is. Um, but yes, yeah, so this movie is happening. Um, Todd Phillips directing, Martin Scorsese producing, Joaquin Phoenix, maybe now Zazie Beats. Um, and yeah, it, it has got a release date. It's going to be coming out in um, October 2019, which um, is a month before Wonder Woman 84. So that should give you an, you know a bit of context for those timelines. I've, I've got to say, I don't fancy the chances of the female lead of this movie making it into the sequel. <laughs> <laughs> Frances McDormand turned down a role. I think she was going to be playing um, the Joker's mum, potentially. Right. Yeah. Which is a character we've all always. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, fair, Should... if she was played by Frances McDormand. Mm. Then, then fair enough. But... Yeah, Should... I, I, I'm getting the vibe from this movie that it's like, um, it's DC doing what they do in comics, which is here is a graphic no- novel in a new continuity on its own. Here is a version of what the Joker could be. Mm-hmm. Enjoy it Enjoy it for what it is. Don't expect us to come back in two years' time. This is your story. See you later. I hope that's what it is. I hope this isn't a DCEU movie in any way. I just, if they're going to do this story, just do it and then leave. Yeah, and I mean, we've seen, I mean, we talked about Infinity War feeling like the purest kind of representation of a comic book crossover in film and just do it and kind of like taking comic book principles of these characters over here doing this, these characters over there doing that. Big shocking events. uh, Doesn't doesn't particularly have like character arcs or, you know, huge kind of storytelling beats the way that... um, a solo character's comic would, but it's replicating the comic book crossover feeling. If this was replicating the out-of-continuity graphic novel, I mean, that could be really good. It could be really bad. It depends on the quality of the actual story <laughs> itself. But that would that would make me interested. And like I said, a $90 million budget, which be, is being reported, that's not... Like, Hollywood doesn't make those movies. Hollywood makes your... 10 to 20 million dollar movies that are like your budget indies and then it makes 150 to 200 million dollar movies which are your big blockbusters there's really not much that's in in that in between range yeah i mean i and this is smack bang in the middle there's not going to be a giant light shooting up at the sky by the end of the film at least so (laughs) (laughs) um and zazie beats guys what do you reckon that is a, a, a left field choice i thought Given, you know, given the other people that sound like, you know, that if you're looking at Robert De Niro, Francis McDormand, I, I guess what I'm saying is this film seemed very white to me. <laughs> and, and suddenly it doesn't feel so white anymore. Apparently, um, so apparently the character is going to be like a, a single mother who crosses paths with the Joker or something. It feels like they're doing, they're doing almost like 
like what they said to begin with, which is a like gritty street level crime drama from the seventies, early eighties, and leaning into the cliches that come with that. Sure. It's just it's it's just ironic that you know like when we talked about with the the pitch thing where I said that the Batman movie that I'd like to see um, is a kind of gritty seventies crime conspiracy <laughs> drama, and instead they're doing it with the Joker. It's just I just I still I struggle to see where the story is here because I just don't think any story about the person who come who becomes the joker before they are the joker is interesting and while i think this story this film could be a good and interesting film in its own right um it's i i just don't see what makes it a joker movie unless he's going to be the joker predominantly for a lot of the film but then you have the question of does the Joker ever really work on his own as opposed to being a foil for Batman? So, you know, maybe maybe he can. Uh, you know, I've, I think I've talked before about the, the 70s comic series where they tried to make him star in his own series but couldn't have him get away at the end of any of the issues. <laughs> uh, I mean, I read that I read that Brian Azzarello Joker that it was recommended on the podcast. It was it it wasn't one of my favorite Batman related comics that's been recommended. I think you recommended the um, Catwoman series on the same podcast, or that I did that reading at the same time, and like I was like, oh, right, this this I love the Joker stuff. I was less keen on, but the, it it made sense. Um, I mean, that's that's kind of how you do a Joker movie, is to have the Joker as a fully formed character and other people around him. Yes, he crucially as well wasn't the protagonist. Yeah. I mean, the, the problem I have, I think I've said this on Twitter, but I don't think I've said it on the podcast, which is that if you give the Joker an origin, it creates this sort of idea that the character is in some way knowable, which removes the sort of principal threat behind the joker which is that he is like an unknowable chaotic figure it it depends how you do it it really does depend how you do it you could do it could be like a fractured psyche kind of movie you could be seeing it from the perspective of the joker and there could be you know like i i don't know you could be really doing some really interested fragmented storytelling kind of things the only way i can imagine doing a joker movie where it would work is if you have several people in the film who could be the joker and you don't confirm by the end of it which one is and you leave it up to the viewer to be like you know which of these guys is the joker and why Hmm. like that's one of the ways that i would make a joker movie work but any like as soon as you start getting specific you you start unraveling the character but hey listen for all of this they've cast Joaquin Phoenix <laughs> who um is i i think one he's of the like gr- <laughs> he's one of the great enigmatic actors of his generation and um i am interested to see what he does with the role um and I think that's enough for me. That's this is what I know. I know we would end up seeing all of these anyway, but this is a movie that I'm kind of rooting for to be made because it feels like again the genre striking out and uh, as debate again whether it's a genre or not, but the super superhero cinema branching out, doing something a little bit different and exploring kind of like the edges of what it what audience what audiences want to see from it um 
And yeah, Joaquin Phoenix playing a version of the Joker. Uh, that is the Joker movie that I want to see right now because I know my alternatives. um so that's dc uh we'll move over to sony now there's a couple of movies to talk about from sony um just just little bits and pieces here rather than anything huge from comic con comic con uh venom they showed some footage at comic con um tom hardy at one point said the person he would most like to see venom fight is tom holland um and i understand that the vibe from the panel was that it sounded less like Tom Holland was in this movie than, you know, he was making a cameo. Um, but apparently the big, the big news from the footage was that there is another symbiote in the movie and, um, it is Riot, who I don't particularly <laughs> know. James Field, this one. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so... When uh, Venom was first given his own spin-off series in like the early 90s, I think it was like 92, 93 or something. Um they there was a uh, it was called Lethal Protector, Venom Lethal Protector. Um mm. and in that series they uh sort of took the Venom symbiote and forcibly made it spawn several other smaller ones. It sounds like that is what's happening yeah. here. And Riot was one of those smaller symbiotes. Uh, it was done by the Life Foundation, who were right. like really cool 90s villains. So in that case, it sounds like Ruben Fleischer said that they were hewing very closely to Lethal Protector. Yeah, okay. It sounds like there are multiple symbiotes. Oh, God, I said it like uh, Jenny Slate. Um Yeah. <laughs> there, there are multiple symbiotes. One of them is Riot, and apparently in the footage they showed, it was Riz Ahmed's character turning into Riot, but apparently Riot will be kind of like not attached to one human. He will kind of like, he could spring up anywhere at the movie at any time because he can attach to anyone. <laughs> okay um i think i've got a list of them here do you want to hear the the full five symbiotes Correct. symbiotes uh so do they all have different powers or anything like that it's not going to be like when i guess the lanterns yeah basically they all look like different colored versions of spider-man great i'm gonna guess the colors <laughs> okay <laughs> i don't i don't know the colors so um, uh, I'm, i'll just say colors then so we've got riot magenta <laughs> one of them is magenta um, <laughs> we've also got uh, Agony Aquamarine One of them is Aquamarine No <laughs> Yep. Uh, Lasher Brown No brown ones uh, uh, Phage Transparent <laughs> uh, Oh and Scream I think uh, Completely rainbow coloured yeah. And glittery <laughs> And at one point, they all, like, formed into one, and they were called hybrid. Right, okay. That's going to happen as well, right? That's, yeah. the, that's, the, that's the showdown at the end Presumably. of this movie. And I assume they're saving Carnage for the sequel. Carnage being the only <laughs> interesting, like, spawn of Venom. Yeah. Um, been a lot. Carnage, who includes us Cassidy, who will uh, no doubt be played by... Ah, uh, oh, I've ruined that joke by forgetting the name of the actor who played Rorschach. Um, Jackie L. Haley. Jackie L. Haley. Yeah, he, he could be Cletus Cassidy. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
from uh, even that said, I was reading a description of this footage on Collider, and even that said at the end of the article. Full disclosure: this was not the best footage I saw at Comic Con. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I think that that movie is going to take a lot of convincing of people. That is going to be worth seeing. Uh, it it smells like a box office stinker to me at the moment. Um, obviously, the quality could surprise, but I mean, I'm going to turn up and watch because I want to see what. Tom Hardy does because that was the one interesting aspect of the trailer. Um so yeah, that's that's why I am on board for Venom at least to give it a go. Cuz Tom Hardy's one of those actors that I will turn up and watch him do something silly if that's what he's doing. And that might be what he's doing here. <laughs> Um, the other Sony film that there is news on, and this is just a really quick bit of news, is um, Enter the Spider-Verse. There is an image online now, if you want to see it, of uh, Peter, Miles, and Gwen, Spider-Gwen, all not, all kind of unmasked, uh, which is fun. And they announced three more uh, characters and who was voicing them. Uh, Kimiko Glenn is voicing Penny Parker. <laughs> uh, what's What's her alter ego, guys? Uh, SP forward slash forward slash DR. Great. Okay. Oh, that's the um, the Gerard Way. That is the Gerard Way spite like Spider Verse. Basically, that... a giant. Oh no! I... Yes. Yeah. If, yeah if, okay. if it had not been for Spider Gwen, uh, Gerard Way doing the Spider Man <laughs> thing should have been the biggest thing about Edge of Spider Verse, and I think that was <laughs> the issue that they thought would be the issue that everyone would lump on, and instead Spider Gwen happened, and Edge of Spider Verse three became like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and Jared Way fucked off back to DC to yeah. make tons of I read, course to, uh, I read all of those. I read all of the issues that introduced all of the different Spider-Men. It was like crack to me. I loved it. Um, another character that was in that um, is Spider-Man Noir, who fantastically will be voiced by Nicolas Cage. Which is excellent. <laughs> yes. Who who is also voicing Superman in Teen Titans Go. Um <laughs> Which I think we will not cover kind of on release on this podcast, but it's definitely going on our list because it looks fun. Uh, maybe at some point this year or next year we'll get to that. Um, and then this was my absolute favourite bit of casting. Voicing Spider-Ham is John Mulaney. <laughs> which is just yeah. perfect. So good. I'm, I, I am looking forward to that movie so, so much. James, thoughts? <laughs> I mean, Spider Ham, James. Person to ask because nothing I've seen about the Spider Verse movie makes me excited for it. Have you just heard about Nicolas Cage voicing Spider Man Noir and John Mulaney voicing Spider Ham? I'm not a huge fan of stunt casting. <laughs> you're you're broken inside, James. <laughs> um. Just, just as well actually on that, because and because we mentioned Spider Gwen, and this ties in. I think in this she's going to be known as what her official new name is, which was also announced at SD. Great. So from now on, Spider Gwen is Ghost Spider, which I think is ghost a spider. Yeah. Well, I. I, I she's the, the ghost quality of a spider. Of, quality of the name aside, I think it is a very smart idea to rebrand her in the comics at the same time as this movie's coming out. Well, this, uh, yeah, but there's an element that still makes me wonder what they're going to do with Miles and his name because Miles in the comics, I don't know if anyone, I don't know if he's appeared in anything since Bendis left. Um, I'm sure he will. I don't know if he's going to keep being Spider Man. I'm concerned about the comics rebranding him Kid Arachnid, which he is in merchandise. 
Um, and it would be weird if he's in this movie as Spider-Man and then becomes Kid Arachnid in the comics. But I think it would um, be such such bad optics to take that character and strip the Spider-Man moniker it would away. Not yeah, but as I say, me, they already right? kind of have. If you if you buy any bit of merchandise, like there's these little. Every time uh, my dad takes my daughter uh, to to the to the village and, um, and goes to the pub, there's a shop that I think has these little. Um, like a machine with these little egg things where you get spy- Spider-Man with big head characters. And twice yeah. she's had a Miles Morales now. She calls it Spider-Boy, um, but the thing says that he that he's officially Kid Arachnid. I mean, the the cartoon series was the first to do that, yeah. I think. That was yeah. the first to do that, but they have now rolled it into... Um, yeah, I mean, uh, it wouldn't surprise me if they gave him a new codename in the movie, because that's as visible as he's going to get. Just call him Ultimate Spider-Man. <laughs> <laughs> Just, just call him Ultimate Spider-Man. I mean, it's maybe easy. he'll be like Zombie Spider or like Skeleton Spider or something. <laughs> Franken Spider. Franken Spider. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, right. We'll move on now to the movies that are non-Marvel DC properties at Comic Con, um, and I want to talk about my favorite trailer from Comic Con, <laughs> which was the trailer for Glass. Um, <laughs> I, I mean, you guys know I'm so in the tank for this movie. I'm I, like, I am fully on the M. Night Shyamalan redemption narrative. Um, and this delivered what I wanted it to deliver, which was um, a kind of a mix of what Shyamalan's been very good at recently, which is his B-movie horror stuff. Like, literally, the fact that the Beast at one point has four cheerleaders tied up is so... That is so exploitation horror movie stuff. That image. Um, I was just like, right, okay, so you're 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 sticking with what you're good at. But then the, the like, framing device with Sarah Paulson talking to the three of them in what looks to be an asylum and calling out the kind of uh, this this growing obsession with superheroes <laughs> and then and then i see the poster for this movie that um that uh, alex ross has drawn and the tra- the poster is gorgeous because alex ross has drawn it but it is shattered glass fragments with um mr glass in the middle the beast at the top um the security which it seems like his his name kind of officially is now uh down at the bottom and then in each shard of glass, like different images um, of like um, his different personalities as uh, Sarah Paulson, as Annie Taylor Joy. But then there are just straight up comic book images. There are there are images of different heroes. There's a shot of Batman in there. Um, and that to me makes me very encouraged that Shyamalan is not just doing a sequel to Unbreakable and Split where he's like mashing these characters together, it seems like he is interested in digging into all that comic book movie stuff again. Or comic book stuff again, but now probably with that hint of cultural obsession in there as well. Sorry, I lost chunks of you there. I mean, I um, a little bit, but I followed it, so. Okay. James, you want to jump in then and we can... I mean, the only problem I have with this trailer is that James McAvoy is just unwatchable no he's not because i saw him do it for an entire movie and it's i haven't watched it, it yet it's next on our list because it won the movie poll i did on twitter the other day when i couldn't figure finally. out finally finally <laughs> yeah um 
It just seems to me at the moment, like, if someone goes, who do you need to overact in your movie? They go, oh, James McAvoy's up for anything at this point. <laughs> like, he's Does, thrown it... all subtlety the, to the wind. Like, we watched him in Atomic Blonde the other week, and he's mental in that as well. Um, I would recommend Filth if you want to see him being completely uh, mental we've seen also. That again, yeah. same, same wheelhouse. It's like he went, oh, actually, you know, if you just really go for it, no one goes, like, you're a quite bad actor. Oh, I no, James McAvoy is not a bad actor. And I you know, I I I like what Shyamalan does with him in Split because yes, he is throwing everything at this. And uh, you know, people had some kind of like questions about whether any of what James McAvoy was doing in that movie was offensive and whether some of the approaches were um can't wait to kind see of politi- politically well no but kind of politically incorrect in its approach to mental illness i think was more okay yeah. the question and i think that the counter argument to that is the movie is presenting mental illness in 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 kind of the same way that a comic book movie like batman would or like the dark you know like any mm. anything that has approached the joker before um like this is a guy who is mentally unstable and it is I think the problem was Shyamalan took an actual illness, uh, dissociative identity, I think, uh, and and put kind of movie tropes on top of it. Uh, but yeah, the, to, back to McAvoy, I think the, the reason why it works in Split for me is that it's all through the eyes of other people. And yes, he is going big, um, but everyone else is treating it like, oh my God, this is really weird and creepy and scary and it does it is it is unsettling anytime he's around anyone basically you feel scared for the people that are in the room and because you're never quite sure whether that is the personality how much of that personality is actually being honest or whether there is a personality impersonating another personality it's just great it's it's great nonsense it is fantastic nonsense and I, mean, I like that Shyamalan's embracing it, and I think that he's he's doing it again here. And I'm, oh, I, I want to see say, it right I now. More, I was more excited to see David Dunn back, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, I I, I think we're both going to come at it from that perspective, having having not seen Split, but having loved Unbreakable. Um, mm. What I really liked were the the cut to the three of them was fantastic as something to drop in a trailer. Yeah. The fact yeah. that unexpectedly you immediately got all three of them sat there together is like, oh wow, we're we're not messing around with this. Yeah, I loved all of the. I liked his line about um, I, I work in in security. Uh, after all the stuff about you know that we talked about on on the episode about security basically being his superhero name. Mm. Um, loved all yeah all the footage of him just going around being David Dunnish. I was trying to figure out if the train stuff was reshot or if that's just footage from the original because i wondered if it might be reshot to to look less jar if they are going to actually flash back to it for it to be less jarring that he's so much younger um but yeah just as a i mean yeah you you can talk about split and you can talk about all the stuff with mcavoy which to me as as with james while not probably not actively disliking it like james i think the least interesting part of the trailer but all the stuff about it essentially being a sequel to Unbreakable and about, you know, Glass is the villain of Unbreakable, but, you know, what he's trying to do in Unbreakable is find a superhero and and prove the existence of a superhero. And the fact that this is about that is interesting. And, mm. you know, could it kind of potentially be about his redemption? 
And the fact you know, that they're leaning more explicitly into he is he is super as well by being super brainy, which wasn't really in the original. It was like I I'm damaged. I don't have superpowers. You have superpowers, and that's why I'm fascinated by you. In mm-hmm. this, it seems a little bit more. I have we have superpowers. I have superpowers like you. But and I just I really like that that opening narration bit from Sarah Paulson about you know talking mm. about people who believe that they're superheroes. Um, <laughs> My really problem weird. with that thing with that line is like. You're you're looking at those three characters, knowing full well that they are all like <laughs> extra normal. Yeah, like they they are they are not delusional. And it so immediately immediately makes her look like her. the idiot. Yeah, yeah. Um, Reese texted me after watching this trailer and said, "There's not that much Bruce Willis in this trailer. Do you think he dies early on?" And I certainly don't. I don't think that's beyond the realm of possibility. No, but um, also I think Bruce Willis is not as expensive as he was. No, and it and it does feel like all three of them are turning up for this. Like all three of them are interested and engaged. I mean, like I thought I I, I got kind of excited to see Sam Jackson for the first time back in this character. I love the hair. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and yeah, I I kind of like the idea. I mean, I don't know what the movie is ultimately going to do, but I like the idea on a plot level that maybe. Yeah, if he is on this kind of redemption arc slightly that he, yeah, he was searching for a superhero the first time round. And what if he looks at the James McAvoy character and goes, well, if there's a villain in there, maybe there's a hero as well. Um, I, I, I don't know that it's with so like few elements, Shyamalan has a world of possibilities here. And I, I, yeah, I thought the trailer was fantastic. I loved the Alex Ross poster. Um, this is the movie of all of them that, yeah, if you put all of them in front of me tomorrow and said you can only watch one, it would be glass. I'd, for me, I'd just for me it would be Shazam. What, but, <laughs> yeah. But I'd I like the look of this. What wizard you made a wish to, Joe, that, that got this movie to exist, that like, <laughs> so perfectly aligns with exactly what you want to see. Yeah. I mean, we talked about in the Incredibles episode, didn't I? That it was like, it, 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 that was kind of doing at least a little bit more of what I'd wanted. Um, and Brad Bird kind of going, hmm, okay, you know, I'm interested. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. In this super, the fact that superheroes have exploded since I made this first movie a decade ago. Um, and it seems like Shyamalan's doing it more so, but also mixing it with all of the other things that I like about his career more recently. Um, and it's, yeah, it's got Sam Jackson and, and Bruce Willis back to play those characters. 
Um, and also, and Anya Taylor Joy, I should point out, is really, really fantastic in Split. So hopefully, she will be here as well. Um, I just wanted to, as because you mentioned Incredibles, just as a very, very minor update. But I feel this is something that we can box off. Is multiple people have said on Twitter after our Incredibles two episode that they also saw Screen Slaver behind the door. Yes. So I wasn't yeah. going mad. James, are you going to watch Incredibles two? I was just thinking I might take Emmy this weekend. It might be a bit too old, too old for Emmy, but I don't know. If it gets you into Incredibles 2, I'm on board. <laughs> scar, scar your child so you can see an Incredibles movie. It's better than the first one, James. <laughs> it, I mean, it would be hard not to be. Oh, <laughs> oh boo. Okay, um, I'm going to blast through some uh, other news from the movies that, uh, that we've got news about from the past week or so. Um... Chris Pratt pretty much confirmed at Comic-Con that he will be voicing Star-Lord in the Lego movie. So that means expect to see more superheroes and more um, new superheroes. I heard... I mean, I, had, I haven't seen... Have, have, have we been shown the, the trailer from Comic-Con for this? There's been a trailer pre... There was a trailer pre-Comic-Con. Well, because I, I had seen a trailer... I hadn't seen it on the internet. Um, I must have just passed me by. But when I went to see Incredibles two, I got a trailer for Lego Movie two mm-hmm. that I thought was terrible, and was, <laughs> it really put me on the uh, on a downer for this film. I'm <laughs> it I... didn't have any good jokes in it, and the plot didn't look interesting. And you know, I mean, I'm, I'm skeptical. And now, now you're hearing it's got Chris Pratt in. Movie. So. <laughs> No, what's the James Chris Pratt voice is the main character in? Oh yeah, 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 no. Lego Movie, yes. So he, and apparently he's. I mean, this was the thing that got me most skeptical. He's also voicing a character called Rex, who is apparently like a parody of all Chris Pratt's quote unquote serious roles. So he's going to be a raptor trainer. It says a space traveling archaeologist, <sighs> cowboy, and raptor trainer. <laughs> Just yeah, let's let's do a Chris Pratt character that is an amalgam of all of his terrible movies. Um, I love the first Lego movie. I am. Um, I was <laughs> similarly unconvinced by this. Um, Don't you like in jokes? And- Don't you like in jokes, Joe? <laughs> Margot I, I what, playing Harley Quinn in it, replacing Jenny Slate. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. Um, and um, Phil Lord and Chris Miller, although they're not directing, still were involved with the script and are producing as well. So. Uh, there is uh, reason for hope. I don't necessarily think it's going to be bad. I was just, you know, I would not have expected a trailer for it to be as disappointing as it was. was. Have you learnt nothing from the Muppet films? Oh. (laughs) Good point. (laughs) Which Muppet movies are you slagging off here, James? Muppets versus Muppets Most Wanted. I was. What, Muppets Most Wanted not being good? Yeah. Hmm. (laughs) We're on a different podcast. Next news item, next news item. We can, I mean, we could do a Muppet special. Don't, <laughs> don't tempt me. Don't make um, Muppets. <laughs> James. Next item. James. Bloodshot is the next item. Something James is more interested in God. than the Muppets. Uh, Bloodshot is being released Thanks. in February. <laughs> it's been released in February 2020. We don't need to say anything about that, but that is happening. No, it isn't. Should we move on? Let's move on. Yeah, it's not happening. Next, <laughs> next one. Um, Spawn has found its lead actor. Spawn, um, so we already knew that Jamie Foxx was playing uh, Spawn. Jamie but Foxx. The, Foxx, but the uh, the lead role was going to be the cop who was kind of hunting down Spawn, and Jeremy Renner has been cast in that role. So again, <laughs> I will... Na- 
I will now watch this movie because I like Jeremy Renner. When you... Does there not just come a point? Because I, I Who's white and available? Jeremy Renner? Just, Jeremy Renner. Just, I was, I was kind of just kind of thinking this with um, uh, with the talk of, of Zazie Beetz being in, potentially being in the Joker movie. You know, now I thought... They, they, you mean they've just... They've just run out of actors. Yeah. They've just run out of actors. Surely there are more people. You know, and these are people who are, who I like in comic book movies, but they, they don't need to keep being the people. They, they just get different people. <laughs> there are a lot of actors it out does, there. It does crack me up that Jeremy Renner missed Mission Impossible 6 and was replaced by Henry Cavill. <laughs> it's like, we're just, we've got a limited pool of people. Yeah. Um... Jeremy Renner, though. He's good, isn't he? I like him. I like him in things. I know some people don't, but I do. And I watched Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol again last week, and it's a great movie. Jeremy Renner's good in it, and he's going to be in this now. So, fine. Um, let's move over to the small screen, uh, and we'll start with the Marvel stuff. Uh, we, we can probably move for- through this pretty fast, because as was the case in the big screen, um, DC kind of stole the headlines. Um, Cloak and Dagger has been renewed uh, for season two. Um, I don't think any of us have watched that yet, but it is on Amazon Prime in the UK, and I am planning I to. Yet. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm I am planning to because I've had a couple of people, um, a couple of listeners have got have tweeted me and said, "Oh no, yeah, you're going to watch it. It's actually it's pretty good." Um, and so yeah, I'll I'll probably give it a go. Um, apparently, season two is introducing a character called Mayhem. Is that interesting? No. I mean, mayhem. Mayhem is basically um, is Detective O'Reilly in Cloak and Dagger. Do we know? Don't know. D- Detective O'Reilly is a, a character in Cloak and Dagger who became a supervillain called Mayhem. Um. Like, okay. It, yes, she is in the first season. Okay, so less less villain, more like nineties antihero who the who Cloak and Dagger have to stop. Um, no, fine. I think we've probably said enough about mayhem. Yeah, that's enough. We don't. We don't need to be interested. Uh, James, tell you something mildly interesting about that character that uh, that Wikipedia has told me. She is the link between uh, Cloak and Dagger and the Netflix shows. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Because in in Luke Cage, they said, Luke "Oh Cage. yeah." I noticed that they said like Detective O'Reilly's gone to New Orleans. Yeah. Yeah. Oh really? Yeah, in Luke Cage series too. I am still up to uh, episode four of The Punisher in the Marvel Netflix universe. <laughs> so I think it's fair to say that I have fallen behind. Um, speaking of the Netflix Marvel universe, Iron Fist season two was the big Netflix show with a presence at Comic-Con. Uh, they announced that Alice Eve is playing Typhoid Mary. Uh, uh, they announced They announced that the Daughters of the Dragon are... are Teaming up, they're confirmed for season two. I mean, and they... also that the season will be released in September. Ah, oh, what a birthday present! <laughs> what are you excited, not excited about there? Okay, I so thought first... Typhoid Mary would have been saved for Daredevil. Well, this is my point, right? Because Typhoid Mary is a classic Daredevil villain, putting her in Iron Fist. I can sort of see the reasoning because you know, Kung Fu and she can, you know, do pyrokinetic fire or whatever. 
it's more of an Iron Fist villain than than a Daredevil villain. Do you feel like Daredevil? They so I know there was like a moment at the end of Defenders where Daredevil kind of said, which by the way I will be watching because D'Onofrio. Um, <laughs> but Daredevil at the end of that season kind of went like, oh, uh, you need, you know, Danny, you need to be the defender of Hell's Kitchen now, mm-hmm. some something along those lines. So he goes out there and deals with all of the the kung fu kind of stuff, and Daredevil maybe gets to focus on when he comes back being the crime guy again more than that kind of mystic side of things and that you deal with the punish uh, sorry the punish the kingpin and bullseye and more grounded yeah it's just well like typhoid mary was an assassin for the kingpin and it's like that's how their relationship is like (sighs) maybe it's a bit bit of an electoral retread and that's why they don't want to use her but yeah, She's and such that a maybe they're Daredevil villain. It seems like a shame to waste her on Iron Fist. And that they need, maybe they just need to re-ground Iron Fist and make him, and like they they need to figure out a different version of that character, basically that I mean, people might be invested in watching. And if they go, how about we turn the show into Daredevil, <laughs> but we don't have, but we don't have Charlie Cox. That's the way yeah, to go. Maybe. I mean, Iron Fist was in Luke Cage series two, and he's much better in that than he was in like the Defenders or his own series when you say much better did you walk out of it going did you come away from the season going oh iron fist season two might be good i'm not sure i'd go that far because i'm still worried <laughs> the fact that all of those other supporting characters are probably going to come back but like but actually still, in luke cage yeah. series two it was quite good this is another point i want to make actually colleen wing was in um luke cage season two having a bar fight with misty knight so the yeah. Daughters of the Dragon have already teamed up on screen. Like, that's not no, but, that's not new. But I think it's going to be a, a deal through the series, if you know what I mean. Yeah, rather than, fair enough. Yeah. But, like, yeah. Um, when she... T- those two episodes, like, with uh, the Iron Fist characters in Luke Cage were really good fun. And, it, and also, Colleen was the... Colleen was the good Iron Fist character. Yeah. I also quite, I liked when he was around, I quite liked Davos, who apparently is turning back up as the Steel Serpent to be mm-hmm. the main villain of this season. Um, Alice Eve is um, a solid enough actress. She's, I, 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 I thought she was... A, a charisma vacuum. Well, I, I, I she still thought she was... Star Trek Into Darkness that... That, yeah. That I, her back for Beyond. <laughs> I don't think it's fair to judge Alice Eve's career on Star Trek Into Darkness, which is probably her lowest moment. Um, I, I, I think she can be she can be quite charming. She was in some of her earlier kind of like uh, rom coms and like um, British movies. Um, I, and, and also, I still kind of thought of her as a movie actress. So seeing her show up in this um, felt like a, a yeah, bit of a, like coup, a bit of a coup for Iron, Iron Fist. Um, I'm, I've got I'm, say, not gonna, I'm, I'm not going to watch it, and I don't expect that it will be any good, but all of that stuff kind of made me go, hmm, okay. I mean, a, a radical retooling of the show is definitely what was needed. And, you know, if they focus on characters like Colleen and maybe move as far away as they can from the Meacham stuff, then that would please, be appreciated please. as well. Yeah. I mean, I'm I'm relatively excited to see Typhoid Mary on screen, <laughs> even if it is an Iron Fist. I just I really wish it had been in Daredevil. <laughs> Um, last little bit of Marvel TV news. Um, the Gifted, which did any of us ever watch any of? I watched a couple of episodes, but... James, you were supposed to watch the whole thing because... Yeah, yeah but... Because it had Sentinels. ...that you wanted instead of Legion. 
If you, you didn't know, watch it, who else did? Network television, right? Uh, and, well, the Gifted Season 2 is going to be introducing the Morlocks. Great. Yeah. I, I feel like that's one of those things that's like it's a, it's a noticeable thing from the comics, but on a kind of generic network superhero drama. Who cares, right? Yeah. We're going to have one of those. Well, we're never going to use those in the movies because that concept is a completely different metaphor than the one we do in the films. So you can have them. We've got one of those kind of weird pieces of news over in DC as well. DC are introducing Lobo onto Krypton Season 2, which I want to share with you guys. To your knowledge, is that the first time that Lobo has been done in live action? It probably is. And so does that mean that Krypton have, will have done Brainiac? Because I don't think Brainiac's been done in live action either, right? Maybe in, oh, maybe in like, Smallville? Lewis Smallville and Clark? must have done Brainiac at some point. I mean, Brainiac 5 was on Supergirl, but yeah. it's a different character. Uh, Is it becoming a, <laughs> becoming a season regular next year, apparently? Oh, great. Uh, oh, it was James Masters in Smallville. Yeah. Right, okay. Uh, but yeah, so they they did they did uh, Brainiac last year. This year they're doing Lobo. Um, it seems like a show that no one's watching, so why not? Hey, test <laughs> test out test out the execution of that character there and see whether you want to do anything with him again. I think technically that movie's still in development, but that's one of those that I, we don't expect. Much I feel I'm extremely underqualified to talk about the TV shows sometimes because there's so many of them and we don't watch any of them. <laughs> Oh yeah, and wait, wait for the next half hour of this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's go over to. Um, so there's lots of stuff in the DC universe and CW, uh, which are kind of separate things. So let's start with CW because I think the some of the stuff that was announced over the last week or so is really interesting. Um, that's happening on the small screen um, because it seems like the CW superhero universe has become. Uh, extend this to Black Lightning has be kind of it's kind of become the social justice area social of justice. superhero programming. Yeah, yeah, that is, is essentially what what they've been building. Um, obviously, we've had openly gay uh, superheroes over there um, and supervillains. I, I always Ca- love the Captain... phrase "openly gay" like it's something to be ashamed well, of. Like uh, no, gay. no, but but notable yeah, in well, quite. I mean. There was a Deadpool panel where Dead, where Ryan Reynolds was talking about how uh, the Deadpool movies were definitely going to explore more of uh, Deadpool's sexuality and do and and um, and definitely become more LGBT inclusive. And I was like, okay, but you've had two films already. Um, <laughs> that <laughs> stop talking about it. Do it. Great, great that they did it with Negasonic Teenage Warhead. But you know, don't tell us that Deadpool is pansexual. Show us. Um, and the CW shows, it feels like they are being, I mean, the trailer for Supergirl was pretty much like, uh, I mean, they've been very on the nose since season one, but the trailer for Supergirl seemed like it was pretty much doing a kind of like immigrant persecution story as the, and like with very, very blatant direct Trump parallels. Um, that's what they were setting up for their next season. Um, and as part of the stuff that was announced around the show, they announced like different recurring characters, stuff like that. Um, we know there's been changes to the main cast there, but I thought the big, the, the big piece of news, it even made the BBC uh, front page this weekend, um, is that Super- Supergirl is going to be introducing the first ever transgender superhero um, on screen. And 
that will be uh, be played by trans activist Nicole Maines, and she will be playing a character called Nia Nal, uh, also known as Dreamer, uh, which feels like a a, a huge step forward. Um, and I mean, like I it's say, nice to see completely a trans actress playing a trans character. Exa- exactly. 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 Given at the moment. <laughs> no. Uh, so that's fantastic, and also the fact that it doesn't feel like tokenism in Supergirl. It doesn't feel like, oh, hey, let's do a trans character because will people will really like f- look favorably on us for that. It feels like a, a, a natural progression for everything else they've been doing and attempting to do, particularly in Supergirl, but across across those shows. I mean, like uh, Legends of Tomorrow has had has had game. Uh, gay members of the team um I'm, I'm fairly sure they've they've shown gay characters being gay there was this, in fact in the cro- the crossover event last season they had um alex danvers waking up in uh white canary's bed um and you know making no bones about what had happened between them the night before which you know we we, we talk about movies like really pussyfooting around that kind of stuff on <laughs> Nice choice of words, Jeff. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> um, you know, like films, films like Beauty and the Beast, again, telling us that, oh, that character's gay. And then like in the movie, you'll see like him raising his eyebrows at a man at one in one scene. <laughs> and yeah, I, I think what the CW are doing with their superhero programming is to be applauded. And this is, yeah, this is another yeah, one of those I mean, things it's that we should than, be applauding. It's better than having actor, actors and actresses come out and be like, yeah, I played that character as bisexual. Like, yes. six months after the film has been finished. Great. Uh, I mean, yeah, I mean, that that was what Tessa Thompson said, wasn't it, about um, Valkyrie, which, not her fault, I think, because I think that it was supposed to be a bit more explicit and it didn't make the final edit of the film. And I'm sure if Tessa Thompson had had her way... Yeah, um, I mean, it would have been more explicit, but it wasn't, and it continues not to be. And yet, here we are on the CW, and I prob that I probably couldn't tell you, I probably couldn't list all of the LGBTQ characters on the in the Arrowverse because there are more than I can remember. Yeah, I mean, the only thing I'll say about the CW things is like, if you're the sort of person complaining that it feels clunky or forced. Well, it sort of has to at this point. And eventually it, does, it won't though. feel clunky and forced. But I don't think it does on those shows. Way. And the fact that, that, you know, that they have, like you say, this is a trans actress playing a trans hero. Um, they had um, Wentworth Miller and Russell Tovey playing a gay couple on Legends of Tomorrow. And those are two gay actors. It just... It feels like they they do the right things in that area, and it does. And to me, doesn't feel tokenistic. I don't know whether some of our listeners might disagree, but um, I am impressed with what they're doing. Um, and as kind of an addendum to that, one of the other announcements that was made over the past week or so in regards to the C- CW TV shows is that they are developing a Batwoman TV show. Uh, she will be introduced in the crossover event that the Arrowverse does in December this year. And it will be uh, Kate Kane. And again, she will be um, openly gay, James. Openly. Yes. Um, yeah. Uh, it's it's weird. <laughs> On the one hand, it seems weird to bring um, 
Batwoman into that universe when you're still not doing Batman. It's a bit, it's that, you know, you start to bring in Batman related characters and it starts to get a bit like when Smallville was like doing the entire DC universe, but not <laughs> Superman. Do you know what? Hand, you know how you is... know how they did Supergirl though, and they were like for the first season they just ignored Superman. They were like, "Well, Superman's out there, but we can't show his face," mm. and it was really conspicuous in that first season to the point that you wished, "Oh, just stop mentioning that he even exists because mm-hmm. it's just a distraction." I really hope that what they're doing here is that this is Batwoman and that she's from Gotham, and that yes, she is the Kate Kane character, and that she is Batwoman from the comics, but also. You know, she is Gotham's protector. There is no Batman. There is there was no Batman. She she is fulfilling the Batman role in this universe, potentially. Or or you know, I mean, we uh, do we know what what universe she's in? Because what I was going to say was, and then I realised it's in a no. different universe. Is you've got you've had Arrow has had hints at the existence of Bruce Wayne, but equally, Supergirl would seem to the Supergirl universe would seem to give you the best way in because of the fact that um you've already got Maggie Sawyer there. And you were yes. plot lines with Maggie Sawyer and uh, is it with Alex? Um, yeah. yeah. So, you know. Arrow did lots of stuff. They've referenced Bloodhaven quite a bit. I think that it, Arrow and Flash have referenced Bloodhaven. And I think there was hints early on when uh, Arrow were doing their diminished Suicide Squad version that that there was Gotham-y hints to all of that stuff. But I think more recently, the more explicit ties have been in Supergirl. So I would expect she will come from that universe well, if, if, if i was putting money on it you can kind of go one of two ways because you can because as i say i think i think i think the the flareoverse has reached a point where if batman was around he would need to have appeared by now <laughs> yes stuff that's going on um the supergirl side of things i think given that you've got superman having all of these uncatalogued adventures going off in his own little corner i think you could more easily uh, say that Batman is also in that universe and so that means what you were saying about potentially Kate being more her own character rather than being defined in relation to Batman is that she's in Gotham in the Flarrowverse but then or how about head, and actually her coming from the Supergirl universe does actually make an awful lot of sense so yeah or how about she comes she comes from one of the one of the universes where there is a Batman and she turns up in either Supergirl or Flash's universe because there there isn't in this one there isn't a Bruce Wayne and and that void needs to be filled yeah. in in that universe is Gotham. There's loads of stuff they could do with it. Um, I'm just hoping we see Batman the, instant um... messaging Supergirl at some point. <laughs> <laughs> the interesting thing with the the Kate Kane Batwoman is that um, she both is and isn't quite heavily defined by Batman, if that makes sense. Because in terms of her stories and the things that happen to her, it's not like she's a she's not a spin-off character from Batman. She's not trained by him. She's never been a protege of his or, or anything like that. Um and obviously she was obviously inspired by him to an extent by by taking the bat thing, but you know, she's very much her own character. Equally, some of the more interesting stuff you get with her is her being Bruce's cousin. Um, but having such a, a different background and such a different approach to things, like I, I think, I think what's good about her is that you can do stories with her that don't rely on the existence of Batman at all, because there's enough in her premise and in you know her, her kind of her relationship with her dad and her military background and stuff. There's lots of stuff you can do, but equally, it's a shame not to have the fact that in so many ways she is the other side of a coin from Batman and the fact that she is related to to Batman's mother 
because um, because she's a cane. Which it took me it took me quite a while to realise that the canes were probably named after Bob Kane. But, um... <laughs> <laughs> um. So yeah. So the Batwoman TV show. She so she's going to be introduced in that crossover. In I think probably a similar way to Barry Allen being introduced in a in a Arrow episode and then getting a season getting his own show the season after. You'd imagine that this show will debut in like September 2019, and I do wonder, given what is that, is Arrow going into its eighth season now, seventh, eighth season, something like that? Wow, <laughs> it's been, it's it's I think what is Flash Flash is going into five, so maybe Arrow is going into. Yeah, eight, I think, which that's an old show. And that is a show that presumably, I mean, who knows in the CW because I think Supernatural is entering its 37th season. (laughs) Um, But you would be surprised if Arrow was around for a huge amount longer that maybe that this is kind of your gritty side of that universe replacement. And... That's, yeah, because, I mean, I'm pretty sure at some point the CW were like, yeah, that's it, not doing any more superhero shows. No, we've we've, we've got enough, we've got four. Oh, Black Lightning's being turned down by the other, yeah, bring it over here, we'll make that. Batwoman, you say? Yeah, sure. Um, (laughs) Oh, yeah, and and we're going to make the Archie shows as well. There's two of them now, there'll be another one next year, don't worry. Um, (laughs) Like, they're fast becoming that network. It's almost as if... There should be like a place just to do DC TV shows, um, but that'll never happen. Um, <laughs> the last bit of CW TV news that I wanted to mention, uh, I watched the trailer for next season of The Flash, despite being about 13 episodes behind on that. Um, I thought it looks pretty good. And then I read that Chris Klein had been cast as the villain Cicada. Um, I don't know anything about Cicada, but you are going to have a hard time convincing me that Chris Striker is a legitimate threat to the Flash. That's all I'm going to say. Um, so yeah, that is the Flash season five, I think. God. Um, or four? I don't know. I've lost track. It's a lot. Um, hey, DC Universe, the place where they're just making DC TV shows. Um, how long have we got on this one? Titans. We got the first trailer for Titans. I feel like um, everything that can be said about that, the internet has already beaten us to it. It's it it's, it felt like a parody. It was like, yeah. do you know what? It could it could it it felt like a trailer that could not have come out any harder and said, "We know who our audience is, and we have made this film for that audience, and they are the people who are still on." Vimo or whatever it is that Zack Snyder's on. I, I, I will never remember the name of that social media platform. Um, Vero, that's it. Yeah, Vero. Uh, that that looks like who this trailer was for. Because um, fuck Batman, right? <laughs> it, oh, who who was it who said? I think was it Al Kennedy who said what you didn't <laughs> yeah. see was the rest of that sentence. <laughs> Where it was. <laughs> <laughs> amazing amazing um yeah it doesn't look good does it it doesn't look like the kind of thing that we are going to be interested in um i, just, I can't yeah, believe it, we waited this long for like a decent live action robin and they still haven't given us one yeah <sighs> it's not that uh, yeah. hard it it's not a good trailer, but I mean the the show is happening. Who knows? Maybe maybe they have gone out and tried to like 
debut this shocking trailer um and actually we'll find out that the show is more nuanced and interesting than that uh but also i i mean i i feel like there was people connected with the show saying no wait ignore the set photos wait until you see what we've actually done on screen and just a lot of those characters didn't look very good and i i I hate to say that because i think there is a slightly um I think there's a racist component behind some of that criticism that has been taking place online. Um, <laughs> Surely but, not. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I just a lot of those characters didn't look great, and uh, I yeah, I I I will go, probably go watch Teen Titans go to the movies. I will probably not watch this. I think what's what's kind of telling actually is that it's called Titans and not Teen Titans. And the the first time that just Titans on its own was the title of something, because you had you had the Teen Titans stuff in the eighties and they kind of they you know they, they kind of grew up over the course of that and so it was a bit silly calling them the Teen Titans and I think they were known as like the new Titans for a while or something like that. But there was a series about ten years ago written by Judd Winnick just called titans you might remember this james because you might remember reviewing it on our comics daily site at the time um and it was like it was you know it was reuniting the old new teen titans characters now they were all a bit older and, and that kind of thing and it was just it was so bad and it was so oh look at us we're being so edgy and gritty and violent with these characters who used to be these teen sidekick type characters and like that's you know, that's what this trailer seems to be. This show seems like it's drawing from that series more than anything else. Um, Remember the Titans as a movie that I would watch instead of watching this. <laughs> Titan AE even, maybe. I don't. <laughs> the Tennessee Titans, I would watch all of their games next season before I binge watch this show. Clash of the Titans. Um, oh, yeah, but maybe not Raph. <laughs> The original Clash of the Titans, definitely. The remake, eh, Raph, no. Uh, Raph of the Titans, as I've mentioned, I think before the movie where I had an actual existential crisis while whilst watching the movie <laughs> and spent the last 45 minutes of the movie kind of quaking at the idea of my own mortality whilst I was watching Raph of the Titans in cinemas. <sighs> what was I doing with my life? What am I still doing with my life? I'm talking about Titans on a podcast. Um, <laughs> of a... <laughs> Other DC Universe uh, tidbits. Well, let's do the tidbits first. Donna Troy, uh, who is Wonder Girl apparently, and Jason Todd, who is uh, a Robin, um, or, and probably on that show, I would imagine. He's probably a Robin and name? a murdering and a uh, killing as well. <laughs> Brilliant stuff, James. You've earned your fee for the week. <laughs> um, although Marvel has been reading some of your old tweets, and I'm not sure that they're going to be sending you through the che- the checks anymore. Um, <laughs> So yeah, um, Jason Todd and Donna Troy are going to be in Titans. Titans and Doom Patrol are going to be taking place in the same continuity, but Swamp Thing will not be in that same continuity, which feels weird to be calling your platform DC Universe and then your live action shows not all taking place in the same universe, but fine, I guess. Um, And then ready for DC Multiverse is what they're saying. We know I'm ready for a multiverse, James. (laughs) Uh, And then the fourth DC Universe live action show was announced this weekend, and that is Stargirl. 
which um, Jeff Johns' Mad Ghost Productions will be producing. And um, I believe this is based on a Jeff Johns created character. Yes, well, very specifically, a Jeff Johns created character based on his sister who died in the TWA eight hundred plane crash. Um, she debuted around about the time Jeff Johns was was working on Justice Society, um, and David Goya was was um, in the latter part of James Robinson's Starman was co-writing stuff with James Robinson on Starman helping him on that and obviously was friendly with Jeff Johns and I think was working with Jeff Johns on some of the Justice Society stuff Uh, and Courtney Stargirl was basically um, she at the end of the Starman series she got given Jack Knight Starman's I'm going to use the words cosmic rod. It's always a constant source of amusement whenever you mention <laughs> the cosmic rod of Starman. Um, but basically, she she's the inheritor of of um, the the outcome of of the James Robinson Starman run, which was very closely uh, linked with Justice Society. Like um, um, Jack actually joined the JSA for a little while towards the end of it. Um, so she, um, I feel like. As a massive fan of that Starman series, I feel like if you're going to do Stargirl, she should really be introduced in the context of following on from that series, especially because that series was all about legacy heroes and she is a legacy hero. Equally, um, for obvious reasons, I can fully understand why she has been a character that that Jeff Johns, in his role at DC, has pushed so heavily in the time that he's been in charge. Um, she, There's no reason you have to do Starman in order to get to her as Stargirl. So, um, you know, it, it's just my personal preference of Starman is one of my favourite ever comics, and I'm desperate to see Jack Knight and <laughs> The Shade and everybody on screen one day. Um, it'd be nice if they did The Shade as a character in it, even even if you haven't got Jack Knight, if you maybe bring The Shade across, um, that, that would be fun. Um, but yeah, so this is... And it, from the look of it, they are still going to maintain her association with the JSA. Whether they have her be a character um, who is like somehow time displaced and was a JSA member or whether it is the thing that they did in the comics of a new generation of heroes sort of become the new justice society kind of mentored by original justice society members. I don't know, but um, this is one that, yeah, because of the lineage and even though I have, I've never been as big a fan of that version of Stargirl as I was of the original Starman series, just because of that lineage and because of the corner of DC that she comes from, um, that's something I I will be at least a bit interested in, and she's 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 a good character. She's a you know, um, sort of overly a little overly enthusiastic um, kind of type of character. Uh, you know, as I say, I, from the from the sound of it, Jeff Johns did very heavily um, base her pers- her personality on on his sister. Um, you know, as I say, she's so she's she's always kind of been that sort of loving tribute of his, but. Um, yeah. Costume wise, she looks like that um that image that went viral of Caps America reimagined as female <laughs> as Alison Brie. Um yeah. <laughs> So that that was what I that's what I thought of when I looked at that costume. Um but yeah, I guess um it's been a very bro heavy uh lineup to mm. to start off the DC universe, so and again, uh, this is why, as I say, you know, I, I don't think as much as I love Starman, um, I think it's a probably a better idea to introduce a female character on her own feet rather than with the background and and with a, a male yeah. character hanging over her. 
Let's hope that DC Universe is still alive and kicking by the time that they get the chance to make Stargirl. Um, <laughs> because, because, as we've already mentioned, that Titans trailer. Um, <laughs> let's move on. We move on from from Titans. I will just. I just looked it up because I realised that the archives of mine and James's uh, daily comics review site are actually on the Cinematic Universe website, and I reviewed four issues of the Judd Winnick Titan series. Issues one, two, seven, and eight. I was a bit Stockholm syndrome by the end, but just to quote from one of them. Um, I used the words uh, pandering wank fodder um, <laughs> in, in my review of issue two when I was talking about uh, the, the art style in it. <laughs> Tell so. us what you really think. <laughs> <laughs> that gives you an idea of what I thought of that series. <laughs> um, okay, let's move over to uh, the kind of the TV stuff that is non-Marvel or DC. And there's actually a bunch of interesting stuff. Some of this has come out of Comic-Con. Uh, some of this is, has popped up outside of that, um, but uh, like loads of interesting stuff going on over here. Um, we'll start off with uh, Seb. There was the first image posted to Gerard Way's Instagram of the Umbrella, the Umbrella Academy, the six kind of siblings, the six surviving siblings anyway. So I think notably Ellen Page, Robert Sheehan and the other ones. Yeah, well, it's funny actually because I was looking at this and I realised that yeah, as well as Ellen Page, there are there are two people I know of in this cast because yeah, um, Robert Sheehan from Misfits is playing mm-hmm. uh, Klaus the Seance, who's also arguably uh, the most interesting of the characters. He's the the weird goth one, but also uh, Tom Hopper, who's playing Space Boy, uh, was in uh, one of the best modern episodes of Doctor Who. He's a, he's in the eleventh hour. He's the he's the 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 guy who's looking at porn on his laptop. Um, not that it says that, but it heavily implies it. Um, so, uh, who who was in? Uh, I think most people will recognise he was in Game of Thrones more recently, as I think the second version of Dick on Tali, um, which will mean nothing to you guys, but hopefully will mean <laughs> something to the listeners. Um, but no, I, I like this. I mean, obviously, you're not seeing very much, but I think you're seeing the. Um, from the shape of the kind of outline you can see behind the umbrella for Space Boy, whether they're going full gorilla suit, I don't know, but he definitely looks big. Um, you know, you get you get the kind of look of, of Klaus and kind of his costume. I like the way number five is this little guy uh, behind it. There's just there's a there's a bit of character to it which I like. I didn't realise um, that um, the rumor was black as well. Which you know, because otherwise you'd have you would have an all white set of characters. And I know in the comic, the thing of them all looking very similar as kids is a deliberate aesthetic thing, even though they are all adopted. Um, so you know that's that's by no means a bad thing there. Um, yeah, I just I I like I like the image. I like the way it's done with the tagline. It's just it, there's a little bit of sort of playfulness to it. As I say, you know, it's not like you're seeing very much, but I've kind of got hopes for this i think as well because i do really like the umbrella academy but i don't care if they do a tv show that takes the basic premise and the characters but runs with a complete something completely different with them um you know i I, i'm not it's not one where i would feel annoyed if it ended up being about something completely different from what the comic was about in the way that i just can't get on with preacher because what I wanted from Preacher was to pretty much see the exact story I know from the comics played out as a TV show, and that has categorically not happened. So um, 
I think this could be fun, even though the pilot's written by the guy who wrote, well, w- was on drafts of the 2015 Fantastic Four. Um, uh, yeah, that that movie, I think it would be hard to pin blame on anyone individual. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I can I? I'm trying to remember. Did I? So I know I read the first Umbrella Academy. Is there more? Or... There's a, yeah, there's a second volume. Um, uh, that's oh, I can't remember what the title is. It's just called Dallas. Yeah, it's just called Dallas, and it's about JFK. And is it good? It is. It's it's really good. It, it yeah, it's it's um, it goes in some slightly different directions from the first series. It introduces two great um supporting characters who are these deranged hitmen. Um, and yeah, it, it, the, it's it's kind of a time travel kind of plot, so it goes a bit mental in the second half. It's Gerard Way they... doing a mental Grant Morrison-esque time travel plot. So, but are the the original characters are back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All yeah, right. Okay. Characters. Um, I might, I might have to read they, that just before this first look at the um, uh, TV show. They announced a third volume, which I don't think anybody thought was on the way because mm. Gerard Way's been doing the stuff over at DC. But I think his role at DC is pretty much wound down now. I I don't know if he's doing any more Doom Patrol. The whole thing of him curating young animals seems to have come to an end, and a lot of the series are finishing. So even if they carry on that imprint, I'm not sure if he's doing as much. Um, but they have announced volume three, uh, as I say, kind of quite kind of out the blue, and it's coming out quite soon. Uh, it's called Hotel Oblivion. Uh, and it will be coming before the end of this year, so they'll they'll be timing it well with t- with the TV show. Uh, and it's right, still, it's still Gabriel Barr doing it, which is quite important because he's a big part of its appeal. Yeah, so excellent. Uh, okay, uh, so the rest of uh, the kind of other bits from um, from the weekend, uh, they they released the first trailer for Deadly Class, which is uh, based on an. Image comic uh, by Rick Remender and Wesley Craig. And um, the TV adaptation, I think notably, as the trailer is shouting about, is um, created by slash produced by the Russo brothers. Uh, so has, you know, that that's, <laughs> that's something. Um, and it stars Benedict Wong and um, Lana Condor from the X-Men movies is in there. And um, Henry Rollins, I think, is probably the, the other big-ish name in there. You know, um, I've never and- read the comic, but you tell me Benedict Wong's, Wong's in it and I'm like, ooh. yeah same here and i don't know if either of you watched the trailer it was one of the kind of like extra little bits from the weekend um but i watched it and thought oh that kind of looks like a bit of like a punk rocky misfitsy kind of tv show that is kind of like if you'd have told me it was based on a mark miller comic i wouldn't have been too surprised and I, i i thought actually like hmm maybe there's a lot of there's a lot of superhero TV, there's a lot of comic book TV, but this was one that was like, yeah, okay, well, I'll, I'm interested to see what the reviews say about that when it does debut. Mm-hmm. I've I've never read the comic either. I'm I'm not the biggest Rick. I don't dislike Rick Remender. I just don't think I've ever read anything <laughs> that I really liked by him. I think the biggest flag for me is that it's going to, it's uh, airing on Sci-Fi rather than you know <laughs> like one of the streaming services. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, we shall see on uh, Deadly Class. Um, some news on the Judge Dredd TV show Mega City One that we've known was in development for some time. Uh, comics writer Rob Williams is going to creatively oversee that and has turned in a script for the pilot. Rob Williams is 
getting all the plum jobs at the moment. Yeah. <laughs> the uh, new Roy of the Rovers writer, Rob Williams. There. <laughs> Not that I don't begrudge him, he's a very good writer, but it is interesting that he's, he's, he's doing very well at the moment. Uh, so I believe he's done quite a lot of stuff for 2000 AD and oh, yeah, has... Yeah, he's been the main like, Judge Dredd writer for ages. Yeah. Yeah, if you if, if you want to put your Judge Dredd thing in, in somebody's hands, he's definitely yeah one of the main sort of... Uh, I don't know if he's got much in the way of a TV of TV experience or background, but I'm not sure. Not that I know of. Um, it, it has he done? I know he's done stuff for Marvel and DC. Has he done anything that's kind of like that's that's the work that you should read? That's the work that kind of um, well people would my know about. Thing that he's done was his Martian Manhunter from a couple I was of years. Say, oh, that's yeah, him. Martian really Manhunter is. was was acclaimed. Okay. Yeah. He okay. Did, what was the um the 2000 AD story called as well? There was that big story where like all three different strands of 2000 AD suddenly merged into one story. Oh right, I don't know. Well, that's that uh, sounds interesting. Yeah, I mean, that was his a, highest that was profile a big deal thing at is the time. He's, um, he's been doing Suicide Squad for the last few years. Mm. I knew I knew I recognised his name, so that that is good. So he's overseeing Mega City One, and that confirms to us that Mega City One is something that is still in active development. It's still in development, but there's there's still no news on whether it's going to be a TV show for anybody, is it? Yes, that's the that's the question. It yes, it's being it is being developed, but no one has said yes for us. <laughs> um, but yes, yeah, so that's happening. Uh, for the first time ever, I think probably I want to mention The Walking Dead on this podcast. <laughs> now, the, the Walking Dead is obviously a comic book series that um, we just don't mention. I think it was it was far enough in, and all of us had even not watched or dropped off by the time that we started doing this podcast three and a half years ago. I've um, watched an episode of the show, and I've read the first volume of the book because we did it on a previous podcast. Me and James used to do. <laughs> I am so actually, I'm probably I'm actually I'm, up to date with the comic. Oh wow! Okay, so I've what I've read like the first three volumes, I think, of the comic. Um, again, before we started doing this podcast, because the TV show was like, actually, I think the first se- the first season of the TV show is interesting, shows a lot of promise, and um, it arrived shortly after Frank Darabont had done The Mist, and I was like, yeah, okay, give me give me more of that kind of thing. And Frank Darabont had basically taken half of his cast from The Mist and put them into The Walking Dead. Um, <laughs> And I think I, I got like four seasons in at least, maybe four and a half seasons into The Walking Dead before I gave it up. But that was after like long stretches where I thought that it'd been unwatchable and then it got a little bit better and, and whatever. It's it's not for us on this podcast, the TV show anyway. Um, but next season, the show is losing kind of like its male and female lead. Um uh, the characters of Rick and Maggie are both leaving, leaving uh, which kind of suggests that the show has an opportunity to creatively refresh, whether it does or not. The one thing that annoyed me about the show was like, oh, it's a it's a zombie show, like it's the apocalypse. Anyone could die at any point. I mean, apart from Andrew Lincoln, who will never die. <laughs> and then, and then now, I mean, I still think they're going to write him an exit where he doesn't die, um, <laughs> give it because they will want to bring him back at some point. Um, but he's not going to be in it. And then the thing that really got me interested is... So, I think Negan is the big villain in it at the moment, played by Jeffrey Dean Morgan. The big villain who is going to either like, overlap slash replace him on the show is a character called Alpha. And they've cast Samantha Morton, which, hello, I'm interested. I would watch Samantha Morton doing anything. She is fantastic. Um, 
And so, yeah, maybe maybe The Walking Dead will be interesting again. Probably not. But now, <laughs> how many of them are walking and how many of them are dead? <laughs> there is actually, there's an interesting thing in the latest, because like, what I do with The Walking Dead is ignore it for a couple of years. When it goes on sale, I catch up on everything and mm. then ignore it again for a couple of years. Because like, it's, frankly, it's written so poorly that that's the only way to do it is just treat it as a pure soap opera, get really invested for about 20 issues and then forget mm. about it again. Because mm. it's just like, it's real trashy schlock, schlock comics. Um, but that said, there's an interesting thing where like some of the zombies are now rotting away so much that they're basically like skeletons. Oh, okay. I I, I was always, <laughs> I was always interested by the concept of on in in the comics kind of because this feels so appropriate to the medium Mm -hmm. that robert kirkman said well that you know you always watch a zombie movie and you get to the end and like maybe your heroes have survived and maybe they've won you go but they still live in a zombie (laughs) apocalypse (laughs) so like the next day is still wake up try not to get eaten by zombies Mm -hmm. and he wanted to explore that concept in a comic which it's just unrelenting God, the shit is just going to pile up and then it's going to get worse and it's going to get worse and then it's going to oh, get yeah, worse. Oh, like, yeah, I won't spoil it for anyone, but they killed off a fairly major character recently. Yeah, like, and, they've, do- and you know, they've done that a few times, haven't they? Yeah, yeah, like, it is a real sort of churn of characters and, like, you shouldn't get attached to anyone because they will die eventually. Hmm. But that feels perfectly matched to the comics medium. On TV, well, no, I, that, that show is going to end... Quite, it is yeah. going to end, and and in with that context in mind, the unrelenting grimness of it, and I think the show has had kind of internal conflicts about how far to go with that, and has raced into it and then doubled back, and uh, fans have reacted accordingly at certain times. I think that I think that probably the the viewership numbers would attest to that. Um, yeah, I, I I've. I've not been I've not been convinced at any point to come back. Um but this I just thought, hmm, that's intriguing. Big changes for one of the biggest shows on TV and they're putting a Samantha Morton in it. So hey, well done. Yeah. That I mean, seems like a pretty canny move. I think if Kirkman does nothing else other than the the Walking Dead comic for the rest of his life, he that would be a you know, creative end in itself. Um Let's move on to uh, another comics adaptation, which I think is probably like one of the one of these projects that people have been talking about for years and years and years, and we got to the point that thought it would never happen. Um, but why the last man is moving forward? It's a thing that is going to happen, and they have got to the point that they are even casting it up. Um, so. I haven't read Why the Last Man. Um, I do plan to at some point because I'm aware of its kind of uh, place in comics. James, where do you stand on it? Because you're not you're not a Brian K. Vaughan guy, are you? I've not read it. No? No. <laughs> Fair enough. Seb? I've read some of it. Um, it's not the Brian K. Vaughan comic that I've... It's probably the Brian K. Vaughan comic that I've, I've least enjoyed that I've read of his. I, I loved Ex Machina. I enjoy Saga. Uh, loved... Um, Oh, what's it called, James? The digital one with Marcos Martin. Um, um <laughs> Private Eye. Yeah. yeah. Um, 
I, I, I couldn't get into Why the Last Man. I don't know why. It just didn't really click for me. Um, read a but it is, trades. It but it is really popular, right? A bit like Walking Dead in that it was sort of... Um, I think its premise was only really able to go so far. Um, unlike Walking Dead, though, it did actually end after like 60 issues or so, mm. I think. Uh, but it is, it, I mean, it's, it's one of those big, it's really widely liked. Vertigo books, right? Yeah, I mean, it's its incredibly highly regarded, although it is one of those ones that people don't really talk about anymore. Whereas in the kind of late 2000s, it was, you know, it was like The Walking Dead in terms of it was the comic that people who didn't read comics went yeah. down. Yeah, board. like that yeah. and Preacher like and had been Walking Dead. Yeah. Hmm. yeah. So, um, there, was a, there was a movie adaptation that was going to be happening for years and. and ultimately fell apart um it has been revived as a tv series and but even that has been kind of in development for three years at this point and you know we've been talking about comics on this podcast that have been in development for three four years and you just you know you get to the point where you're like yes i believe at some point we did talk on this podcast that the wicked and divine had been optioned for a tv series (laughs) I don't think any of us are expecting that in the next month or so they're going to announce that it's actually happening. Um, but why Last Man is, Michael Green is going to be showrunning. Uh, he's a name that should kind of ring bells for people who've been around nerd culture for the past five or so years. Um, he's done a lot of work with Brian Fuller. He works on American Gods with him. Um, he has been uh, a credited screenwriter on films, including... And just go with me on this journey. Green Lantern. Ooh. Logan. Hey. Alien Covenant. Mm. Blade <laughs> Runner 2049. Mm. No way, I did the wrong noise for that. Hey. Uh, Murder on the Orient Express. Mm. Um, so, uh, Michael Green, showrunning, and the cast. Now, I don't know how you pronounced his name. Barry Keegan, I'm going to go with. Um, who is best known probably for... Uh, probably best known for Dunkirk, um, but was also in The Killing of a Sacred Deer last year. Um, he's going to be playing the lead character, Yorick. Diane Lane is going to be playing his mum. Uh, Diane Lane is amazing, so that's great. Imogen Poots is going to be playing Yorick's sister, Hero Brown. Uh, Lashana Lynch has been cast, and Amber Tamblin in the last couple of days has been cast as well. Um, so that's the TV show that's happening. So, with your caveats about the about not really liking the comic, can can you see how it would make a good TV show? Because those are names that I go, mm, okay, you've you've assembled a, a very interesting cast there. I mean, I, yeah, I can definitely, uh, you know, it's not a fundamentally put- bad concept, right? Yeah. Yeah, and whether whether you follow the comic closely or whether you just take the premise as a starting point, <laughs> whether you preach it, yeah, uh, it's definitely a good premise for a for a TV show. Um, mm. Yeah, I, you know, <laughs> I can't see anything wrong with it. I, I'm just surprised it's taken this long, really, and I do wonder yeah. if the fact that it's coming along after things like Preacher and Walking Dead and stuff um, has it potentially missed its moment. I don't know, but. We'll see. Uh, it is there, you know, is spark interest in it? I say it's interesting because I just haven't really seen anyone talking about the comic or the property for quite a while. So. What's the big unadapted work in your guys' opinion? Is it Starman? Is that the is that the kind of the big <laughs> Sandman? Sandman, sorry, Sandman. Starman. <laughs> Jesus. 
Yeah, it's because I was talking about Starman. And yes, I no, Starman that's yeah, show. exactly. Yeah, um, yeah. I think I think the biggest. Yeah, I think it, I think yeah. it would have to be Sandman. I would go with I would go with Sandman, and Man, then probably uh, Transmit or Hitman. Mm, people don't really talk about Transmit. Hit Hitman. Is I've never even heard of that in the DC universe. In the universes, then then yeah, Hitman yeah. because it was a long running Ennis one. Um, yeah, but it's hard to look past Sandman. In the in this day and age, it's surprising that there isn't at least one in development, or is there one in development? There isn't. Well, there, I, there, there no, but there's always something ticking over. But you know, I'm sure there's someone trying out there somewhere. I in the life the of this podcast, it was is, the it was the Joseph Gordon-Levitt version, wasn't it? That was oh, the last right, one to yeah. get. Yeah, close. Um, I mean, obviously, I know there have been versions where they've where DC have tried to do it without Gaiman, but given the Given the whole creative consultant thing that Gaiman has on any spin-off property, um, I'd like I, I I wouldn't expect anyone to try and do it without him. So in the way that he's been doing Good Omens and he's been doing American Gods and been very involved in both of those, um, I wonder if when he's done with Good Omens, if someone might have a crack at trying to actually do it with him. And obviously DC are bringing back the Sandman universe with some new stuff um, mm. imminently in comics, so... Um, it wouldn't surprise me, but yeah. The thing is, like, I'm I'm did. extremely on the side of you don't need to adapt Sandman. Like, it's a comic and it works no. as a comic, and you don't need a TV show. Mm. And there's I so mean, much stuff you could... that it's rooted in in terms of comics and background, and you take that stuff away, you're losing a lot of what makes it. Yeah, and it's I think what you're saying is we do we a don't worry about Morpheus or whatever that stood alone. Mm. But then you lose the mythology, and it's sort of why? Just why bother? What's the point? Yeah. But what you're saying, James, is we don't need it in say the same way that we need a Watchmen TV series. <laughs> we definitely don't need it in that way. <laughs> um, okay, um, that's pretty much all of the comic book, movie, and TV news from Comic Con and uh, around the last week or so. There was a lot, but there, there is one last thing I want to mention, uh, and I'm going to call this Joss Whedon Corner. <laughs> Um, because obviously Joss, Joss Whedon is so intimately connected to all of this stuff that we talk about in the podcast. And I am willing to make the argument, as we start out with this, that Buffy the Vampire Slayer is a superhero. I don't she think gets anyone's super- going to disagree with that argument. Buffy the Vampire Slayer was one of the best superhero TV shows ever made. One yes. of the best TV shows ever made, let's be fair. And I know that uh, James and probably Seth as well will have uh, takes on this. Um they are make they are rebooting Buffy, um, and I I believe this is kind of happening at the same time that the comics continuity of Buffy is finally coming to an end. Yes, yeah, season, it, season uh, twelve is the last Buffy comic season of the you know quote unquote official continuation. Yeah, um, and there will be there's going to be a new version of Buffy. It's going to be a reboot, and Buffy is going to be played by a black actress um no no like specific casting announced that was just part of the part of the news story around the buffy reboot um and this was kind of announced on the dawn of comic-con as well um what do you reckon guys because buffy is and i you know this is not just i this is not just nerd culture talking this is I think you talk to a lot of prominent TV critics and they would say Buffy is one of the most important TV shows of the past 20 years because for for whatever you want to say about Joss Whedon since, 
it was a big step forward in terms of like feminist television, I would argue, and mm-hmm. female representation. Um, but also it was one of the forerunners of the golden age of TV. Alan Seppenwall, who's one of the the best uh, TV critics in the US right now, put it in his book of, you know, it, it, there was, I think, 10 or 12 shows that for him were defined. It's called The Revolution is Televised and Buffy, I think it's Buffy and Oz are the two shows from the 90s that make it in there as kind of like the forerunners of of all the shows that followed. And, you know, you've got your Sopranos and Breaking Bads and uh, on network TV, stuff like Lost. Um, but it was one of, it was one of the most important US TV shows of, uh, and it is like 20 years since it launched. So over the last 20 years. Um, <laughs> and yeah, so Monica Owusu-Breen is going to be writing the scripts for a reboot. It doesn't have a network yet. Um, Joss Whedon is going to be involved in an executive producer capacity. But this is all interesting because the, previous to this, the, uh, the, um, the Buffy news that was out there was that they were making a new movie. Uh, but that we, I think without Whedon's involvement, it was just whoever owned the rights were pressing forward to a movie. This seems more interesting, but James, I saw you t- tweet something about this that I thought was very interesting. Yeah. And I was just like, and I was just like, oh yeah, no, you're right. That is a no brainer. Why don't, why don't they do that? Well, the thing is, what I tweeted at the time was like, why would you reboot Buffy when the, the idea of continuing the line of Slayers is like baked into the concept? But actually, and there are, it seems like. There's two, there's, there's two reasons why you wouldn't do that, I think. But I think your reason, I think your argument is. There's the solid reason to it. I think the two reasons you don't want to do that are you have to canonically kill off again Sarah Michelle Keller's Buffy for that no, to be no, a f- no, no. Well, well, not necessarily. Yeah, in fact, that's 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 not true, is it? <laughs> you definitely don't just, have to just, do that. Yeah, just thinking about the show. No, you don't have to do that. <laughs> um, maybe you have to kill Faith though. Who knows? Um, uh, but w- what you would be doing, I guess, is placing in that universe a white forerunner to the. Yeah, Black okay, character. that's that's a better argument for not making it a, a continuation. But again, the I think the counter argument to that is that Sarah Michelle Gellar as Buffy is such a dominant cultural. Yeah, like even even if you don't have her canonically, the in the narrative, she is the forerunner. So she is, yes, yeah, yeah. Um. So yeah, but actually, it seems like what they're doing is building it in the universe of the TV show anyway. Um, I saw someone suggesting that maybe this character will be like the the child of Faith and Robin Wood, which would be an interesting direction to take it. And certainly, if she's called Buffy, she could be named after the original Buffy. Ooh, yeah, I like that. Yeah, like, if you're going to reuse the name Buffy, which is, let's face it, pretty unusual, um, that's a way to do it. Named in honor of, mm-hmm. not necessarily related to. Um, I could see it working. The thing, like, a lot of people are getting upset at the idea, like, oh, don't wreck my childhood. And it's like, it's fine. Your childhood is gone. Like, it's not going to get retroactively fucked up by this. Yeah, the original show still exists. Exactly. <laughs> I still have all the DVDs. The the, 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 the completely... Of Watchmen. <laughs> <laughs> but ev- every time I see someone say, oh, that wrecks my childhood, I just think, like... How wretched was your childhood that someone remaking a property that you enjoyed when you were six years old or whatever? Which you, importantly, is, is don't enough have to, to watch. Yeah. yeah. Don't like it, can, don't watch you it. Can just ignore the existence of these things. It's not like, it's not like, like you know, 
it's it tends it it tends to me to suggest that that um this is not something that you think is ruining your childhood you are just um upset with an element of why they are remaking it yeah and it's because i think there's a difference between oh you know because you you, look we do a podcast that's about us critiquing things and sometimes talking about things that that make us angry when they're bad but like that's because you know it's not that we don't want to see something like man of steel for example getting made it's that it got made i wanted there to be a superman movie and the one that we got i didn't like there's a difference so with that it's like if something gets made and you don't like it but you wanted it to exist it's harder to ignore its existence because you're like well i looked forward to that and it disappointed me and so i'm annoyed that that, that it wasn't better but and if i'm right said what something... you do what you do in that circumstance is you go online and you kickstart a remake of that property <laughs> made made by the fans yeah but yeah. The, but yeah but the point is when but the difference but when you have something that's just I don't want this to be made or to exist. Well, it can exist without affecting you. Like, I think if they ever did, I'm sure we've probably used this example before, if they ever did a remake of Back to the Future, I would not want to see it. I think it would be terrible. Does that mean it shouldn't exist? Well, frankly, no. If if Bob Zemeckis and Bob Gale are happy for it to happen, then yeah this is happen, the, this is know. my the point i want to make which is my objection to watchmen being i know made. look i was being facetious with watchmen and i know the objection oh, no, no, yeah, but i want to say like, my, my objection <laughs> is rooted in a moral outrage at the like the virtual theft of those characters whereas if joss whedon says sure make a buffy thing using character the character that i created and don't well, own <laughs> Joss sure. Whedon has been doing Buffy comics for years that are an official continuation of it. Like, <laughs> yeah. the, the and Buffy comics are, are largely terrible. Well, this is the thing. The, those comics have probably done a lot of things that if fans of the show, who are only fans of the show and don't follow the spin-off material, if, if people knew that they existed and what happened in them and what was official canon of Buffy, they'd be outraged. But you know what? They can happily ignore them and they can have the TV show as having any... Or if you're like me and you never really got on with a lot of Buffy, I can just pretend that season three is like the only season of Buffy and it's this perfectly hermetically sealed thing. Oh, Seb, what a revelation! <laughs> I've talked about this before. I Buffy is fine. I I like bits of it throughout, but the only season that I truly love of Buffy is the third season, and and maybe about half of the second season. I think three is probably episode. three is definitely the best. probably the most complete. Yeah, but yeah, there there's I, yeah there's there's stuff in all the seasons. Oh, yeah, I want to say on, I want to say on record, yeah. four is a lot better than anyone gives it credit for. Four is my which second Which is favorite. four? Remind remind me which four is. Right. Oh no, the, the four is. Re- no. Go and rewatch four, and you'll be like, "Oh, actually, no, I, this is." I did. I <laughs> no, I did. I went. I went and rewatched them all. Uh, oh God! Do you know what I was going to say recently? But I think it was about six or seven <laughs> years ago say. now. Because I re- I re- rewatched the whole thing, start to finish. The argument you just made is the argument I make about season five, uh, which I think is much better than people give it credit for. Um, but hey, anyway, um, Buffy is being rebooted, which I think we can, yeah just about say is a superhero property um and at the same is a superhero property (laughs) and at at the same time i'm going to use it as an excuse to talk about joss whedon because um joss whedon it has been announced has a new sci-fi series called the nevers coming to hbo it has been ordered straight to series which um is (laughs) worked out well for him in the past 
<laughs> um, and uh, apparently the project was subject to a pretty intense bidding war between HBO and Netflix. Um, and I just think it's notable because obviously I, Joss Whedon, I think, creatively has felt a little bit lost since Age of Ultron. I think Age of Ultron felt like a watered-down version of his I, I, for, for all of that film's merits it feels like that it the film got away from him somewhat from mm-hmm. hearing him talk about it um uh, and like i said when i rewatched that as part of my marathon i was so much more intrigued by it than i was at the time um so i'm in no way saying that age of ultron is a bad movie uh but it's felt like the projects that he's hot between the justice league dalliance the failed pitch for Batgirl and all of that kind of stuff, the stuff that's gone on in his private life, it's it has felt like what is just Joss Whedon now. And actually, um, I didn't know it, but the thing that I could that, that I was going to be most excited about was hearing that he had an original property coming to TV, and that it's it's like this. He's described it as the most ambi- the, the most ambitious uh, thing of his career, which. If, if that's the case, fair enough. I, I mean, it could be terrible and it could, because Joss Whedon has done really interesting stuff that just like is hamstrung by, like Dollhouse is the prime example of <laughs> really, really interesting, but there was something in the core concepts there that, that meant it was work. never going to truly work. Yeah. And that could, and who knows that could be the case here. But as soon as I read that, I was like, oh yeah, that's, that's what I want to see. I want to see Joss Whedon making an original sci-fi property for TV um, and HBO. And the, the, rest, thing, so. the thing with Joss Whedon is it might be bad, but it will at least be interesting. Um, I would argue that that is what you will get from the Watchmen series as well, James. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, no one got fucked over for that to get made, for Joss Whedon's thing to get made. So, Okay, uh, so I think that is, that's everything for this, this bumper Comic-Con episode. And now There's always so much comics. to talk about. <laughs> oh, maybe, maybe, maybe a bonus, ep- a bonus, bonus episode <laughs> just on the comics. No, otherwise we're never going to record <laughs> Spider-Man Three. <laughs> oh yeah, which we're doing this week. Which reminds me, I need to watch that, guys. I've watched sixteen Tom Cruise movies in the past ten days because because you're a Scientologist. Because I can't stop. <laughs> I genuinely can't stop. Um, I love Tom Cruise. We're fourteen the, of those just the movie star. tomorrow over and over again. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I mean, that's not a bad idea. Maybe that's my next movie marathon, my next charity movie marathon. <laughs> just watch edge, back to back. edge of t- back to back and you back could, until until I die. <laughs> you could alternate it with Groundhog Day. I I, I did notice that um, February second next year is on a Saturday, and I did ponder taking inspiration from you and and doing a, a charity spend the whole twenty four hours watching Groundhog Day over and over mm-hmm. again. Before I realised that that can't raise money for charity because that's too easy a thing to do and too fun a thing to do that, that yeah. no one would want to sponsor me to do it because that's it not that's pleasant. That's my problem. If I ever do that marathon again, I have to make it unpleasant next time. It's like when I said I threatened that if they actually make that Joker movie, I'll watch Suicide Squad back to back for 48 hours. Um, which, I mean, if I did not crack like a cool half mil on that just giving page, I would be disappointed. Um, <laughs> so yeah, let's, I mean, let's stop banging on. That's everything for this uh, Comic-Con special. 
as Seb mentioned, we'll, we will be back. Um, you'll probably get it right at the start of next week. Our Spider-Man 3 episode. Um, and then you probably know the episode that's coming up after that because it's a new release movie. Um, uh, not not new for the rest of the world. Just, just <laughs> Still spoiler free, you guys? Yeah. Yeah. Impressive. Okay, uh, so that's it for this week's show. We won't do all of the usual spiel because, God help us, this has gone on long enough. Thank you so much for listening to us waffle on about all of this news, and we will see you with Spider-Man 3 next week. Goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye.